Business Podcast. Good morning, Bobby Flood. Good morning, Jordan Bruno. How's it going? Hey, it's a beautiful Monday morning, April 19th. I can't even read my own watch. April 19th, right? Yeah, it doesn't seem like we should be in the cave here doing the podcast. We should be outside running around, frolicking, uh, swinging on swings, laughing, picking flowers, you know, all those things, chasing grasshoppers, whatever we used to do. That sounds like a primary song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. it's a beautiful day. Um, this is a fun time of year in Utah where we live, where you kind of shake off the winter shackles, even though it yeah. did snow the other day. We're going to yeah, it's we always still, get a few of those. March and April are a little tricky. Anyway, uh, it uh, it's so surreal because it is wonderful. And, you know, we're here in this I- idyllic uh, unnamed Utah setting where life appears to be good and you know, all hell is breaking loose around us. I I feel like we're living in a Salvador Dali painting. Mm-hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about here? I've got a picture right. for you here. I'll post it. This is the one where the clocks are melting. It's something about, uh, or uh, that it's got one draped over a tree. Yeah, I remember that. That painting was one of the first. That that painting is associated with like maybe third grade when we had a little lesson on art. And that was the surrealistic example that was shown, and I uh, that painting's always stuck with me ever since. And I've, you know, of course, I've seen it. I've seen it everywhere. It's a, it's a famous. It's very famous. Yeah, he's he's certainly a famous guy. But his his stuff is is very very interesting and uh, and kind of weird if you're not into that. Uh, I don't know what he's exactly trying to say, but uh, but yeah. It's also kind of like, have you ever seen one of those pictures where the, uh, um, the, you're, you've got a staircase that, do, that yeah, goes in like a square the square and it just, it just continues to go up like on the itself. MC Ashler stuff. Yeah. Escher, Escher stuff. Escher. Like Escher. Yeah. Uh, or like the Mobius strip, right? A friend of mine has a, a picture in his house of a Mobius strip and it has these ants walking on it. Um, and a Mobius strip is a is a one sided piece of paper, right? And um, it just never ends, and it's it's just kind of odd. You're like, okay, didn't we? Are we in the same place that we were at last five minutes ago, or a week ago, you know, or, what, or what? What's going on over there's there? There's kind of a fun uh, theory. Let's call it a theory that that we that we all shifted timelines. That that our whole world like went off the rails and picked up on a new track. Oh, because of the COVID jump or well, something? some people say it happened in 2012 Could when have the, been 2019 when or the 20, 2001. Sure, sure. There's there has been people who say that 9/11 like knocked us off of our intended destiny our intended track. timeline and, <laughs> yeah. and we're on a new timeline. And and I think there's even some sci-fi and stuff like that about it. It reminds me of it kind of reminds me of the show. When I was a kid I liked a show called uh, Quantum Leap. Did you ever watch that? Oh yeah, that? I liked Quantum Leap. Where he would yeah. he would take on somebody else's body, but of course it was a it was an actor. It was a famous actor so you would never see the body really he took on. Yeah. Sometimes he'd look into a mirror or whatever. He'd yeah, be you'd a, see it, yeah. He'd be a baseball player, you know. But a, it was kind a, of an excuse to do like a nostalgia show. Like right. Star Trek would do that all the time. They'd do the back in time episodes and they'd be in the 30s or. Right. Yeah. And this the, one would, he would send people, he would get sent back to like, he'd be a double A baseball player in, in Iowa or, yeah. 
you know, like field of dreams or, or a, a farmer or a, a school teacher. And he'd go and fix these sort of. Yeah. Whatever the problem was. They're not like superhero problems where he's saving a bus he's going like off helping a cliff. A family or something. Yeah. He's helping someone out who's financial has financial problems or something like that. See, hold your thought there because I don't want to go off in this tangent, but I always wondered if the reason why there's so many of those nostalgia throwback type of, they they want it. Like my understanding is that this uh, uh, WandaVision on um, Disney is a kind of a throwback thing. And I I wondered if it's because they've got these sets that they want to make use of. And so they're like, well, how are we going to make a, a movie with all this uh, stuff from the 40s? We got to use the stuff from the 40s. No, let's do the 60s. We got to get the American graffiti set back out or whatever. <laughs> right. Anyway, I, was wonder if, I wonder if it's like a financially like uh, beneficial thing for him to put that stuff to use. Anyway, get back to your, your well, uh, thoughts well, so, about uh, Quantum Leap. And, I, and I've, never, I've never really given any uh, serious thought to this timeline idea, but I started to kind of with with the covid thing and i just thought and and even with like trump's election and just all this bizarre stuff that happens i thought maybe we have jumped to a different time <laughs> well you know we we haven't really decided exactly what we're going to talk about here in this episode and i'm voting for at least spending some time on listener feedback uh cuz this is you'll find this funny but one of our listeners uh she sent me an email with uh some some sci-fi fiction she's like she's guys you're talking about these movies and aliens and stuff like this have you ever read this and i read it i started reading this it was it's uh um i guess i'll just say what it's called the neruda interviews by a guy guy named um uh james mahu i think and um it's this woman who's interviewing a guy who is who's sort of escaped from a secret highly in- intellectual, highly advanced uh, faction of humanity or, or a small group of humanity, a secret, a secret uh, group that has interactions with extraterrestrials. And, and, um, and he's highly intelligent. And he's got all this information he wants to share. And I was reading it and I was like, I thought she had sent it to me that it was like, a, that it was reality. Like I, I was like, do you, I, I emailed her and I'm like, you're, because I did, I read through the first part of it, and then I, um, I, I went to the guy's website, the where from the where she had sent me this PDF, and started reading about the author, and and and, re- and realized it was fiction. I like literally thought, um, you got you got War of the Worlds. I got War. Yeah, it was War of the Worlds on <laughs> on on uh, Jordan here, and I was like, I te- I emailed her. I'm like now. This is like a. I'm just going to be perfectly honest, but did you send me this knowing that it's fiction? Did you? This is fiction, right? You we were talking because she wanted to talk about it, and I'm like, this is fiction, isn't it? Yeah. And she writes back and she says, "Let's see, I I got the email here, uh, because I want to get her quote right." And and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, I know, I know it's fiction, but I, you know, I don't typically read uh, much of this extraterrestrial material, but you know, you guys talk about all these." interesting topics and symbolisms in the in the uh podcast and she says it's only been recently that you've sparked my interest plus it has that computer programming aspect to it so i thought you might have some insight on that so i understand it's fiction like some of the other stuff you've pointed out and i'm curious if it's an upside down story but she says she goes on and she says um she says these things she says 
with everything going on in our world right now, you know, supposed DNA altering, and she's got an icon of a, of a syringe. <laughs> and then she says, underground tunnels. Did we talk about the Denver airport? A little a bit. A little bit, Just right? a little Didn't bit, yeah. that out? Yeah, because there's reportedly all kinds of underground tunnels, and then you've got Elon Musk doing the whole, m- trying to make underground tunnels pool. cool. Secret societies, human cloning and, all, cloning, and all this conspiracy theory stuff. It feels like we're in a sci-fi movie right now. And I'm saying it's like we're in a Salvador, Salvador Dali painting. Right. She says, I'm having a hard time discerning fact from fiction. Ha ha. And so I'm like, yes, absolutely. That's exactly where I was at. Uh, when I started reading this, I'm like, is she, is she serious? Like, because I'm not trying to say, no, I'm not, I'm not, not saying that extraterrestrials are real, but I'm also not saying that they're real. I'm not, not, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's all for not. <laughs> we, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm definitely trying to uh, keep keep an open mind on what's happening, and and you know, well, there's, uh, but 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 it's crazy. We're like living in crazy. I'm land. reminded of the. Um, so we talked about the Truman Show a few weeks ago, and that was kind of at the time that was Jim Carrey's jump from slapstick comedy to a more dramatic role. Well, Will Ferrell. Will Will Ferrell did the same thing when he went from kind of slapstick stuff and did Stranger Than Fiction. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, that was actually a pretty good show. Wasn't he like an IRS auditor or something? I don't remember his exact. He he then has to like. There's a series of events, and he he has a love interest, and he but he's being controlled by an author who writes novels, and he is her character, and. Okay, he, I guess I don't remember. He it doesn't very well. realize that, and she doesn't realize that. So she will write. You know, she's at the computer writing, and then he walked into the bathroom and brushed his oh, teeth. Yeah. And then you see Will Ferrell brushing his teeth. And it's been a long time since I've seen it, but his life is basically a story mm-hmm. created by this author. And through the events in the, the film, you know, she's going to kill him off. And then <laughs> they both become aware of each other. Oh, okay. And she has to make this decision, like, do I kill this guy or do I write my good story? <laughs> I got to go watch that Yeah, again. I need I've to rewatch it. it, too. Yeah. It might be worth, it might be worth, you know, more, uh, more, uh, we'll just have to put it to the ever-growing list of things we want to talk about I in know, the future. I know, we're making a huge list. But the, the idea that we, we are all sort of in a sci-fi movie is, you know, there, there's always the, there's the timeline theory and then there's the simulation theory, right? That we're all just, this is all just a simulation. Yeah, yeah. And some, sometimes I really wonder about that too. And well, I'm, waiting for the, I'm waiting for the stage light to fall onto my yeah. street outside. Yeah, I mean, w- w- exactly what we're caught up in is, is difficult to discern. We're certainly veiled to the, to the actual reality. And um, so I just want our listeners to know, I'm not saying that when, when we're talking about this stuff, I'm... At least I think Bobby, I think we're on the same page here. Chime in, but when we're talking about this stuff, we're talking about it in a metaphorical sense, like the Avengers as a metaphor. Um, does that mean space travel is real, or does it mean that it's not real? No comment there. I think those would be interesting things. Interesting things to uh, to dive into. But I th- I think we're we we are so. Um, veiled. We're we're so much in darkness that 
we've got to be careful to make too many um, hard and fast conclusions about our reality and the the way to uh, ultimately find the truth is to get in touch with Jesus Christ. That's he is the spirit of truth. And so what does that mean? Well, when you say Jesus Christ, you automatically introduce religious overtones. And I'm not necessarily trying to throw all this baggage onto the conversation, but the, but the there are many people that have had experiences with the beyond with the what we call the supernatural and they come back and they have a hard time explaining it. One of the best metaphorical movies about that process is the movie Contact in the 90s with uh, Jodie Foster, Jody Foster and Matt M- Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. I really love that movie. And if uh, here's the spoiler alert, you know, run screaming th- from the room with your hands over your ears if you don't want to hear this, but it is 20 years old, so it's fair game. Uh, in the movie, you've got this, sci- this scientist played by Jodie Foster and she is uh, very logical and very much focused on empirical evidence. And uh, her love interest is Matthew McConaughey, who plays sort of a the hip, new pastor guy. Like, he's young, and he's a philosopher, and he's, he's kind of a guy that doesn't really exist. <laughs> he's, he's what you hope every, um, uh, you know, religious person would be like, but... <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really exist as a as a nationally influential guy. I'm sure there's guys like out out there, but as as a figure, as a as a man of faith, and as a as a very young, sexy, uh, attractive somebody that people want to be, somebody that the president and all the media wants to put on their council. You know, he's he, kind that, of that, like, that guy doesn't exist right he's now. He's kind of like what you might what people like to think, like someone like. Uh, Deepak Chupra, is that how you say his name? Someone like him, or or a Doctor Oz. Well, but, like, but but he's like a Jesus guy. But he's guy. real. But he, yeah, yeah. The, those guys are those guys are false Christs or false prophets. They're just in it for they're, the money. They're very new age. The guy in the the character in the movie is is what you yeah, like you're saying. It's like what you would hope these people really are, or what people think they might be. Right, and so the series of events. Uh, turns out such that uh, Jodie Foster, her character, she has to go through, um, she's going to get projected into space, or th- there's this machine that they end up building uh, that was revealed to them from from outer space, from the heavens, right? And nobody knows exactly wh- how it, where it comes from or you know where they're going or whatever. And she gets, it's, they build it without knowing um, what it's going to do, and then they put her in it, and everybody's thinking it's going to project her somewhere or um, send her on a journey, disappear the little pod she's in. And for, for everybody on Earth, it appears that nothing happens to her. But she goes on like this multi-hour long journey in yeah, a split the, second. There's the recording that has the, they kind of hush it up, that the, the video and re- audio recording has this. Yeah, they, what, they, they, they don't get of, or four hours of yeah they static. don't get they don't get any recording they try to record her experience but they don't get any um anything but static back but they get a certain amount of time of static back right. like several several minutes or hours worth of static and that proves that she was somewhere but nobody knows what it is and she right. comes back and tells about it but nobody will believe her she goes and so she's put in the position of having had the experience and everyone else has to have faith in her 
right. you know, gets to, and, and she's like, I can't it's explain really it, but movie. I have, it's, it's literally like, she has to take the McConaughey position and, and he of course supports if her. If I remember right, doesn't she, she goes to kind of a simulation of Pensacola, Florida, the beach in Pensacola and has yeah, a, she sees her father, has a reunion with her father, which is another, uh, yeah. reoccurring theme in these types of yeah. stories. But she, she can't, um, she can't prove it. Sure. And so she ends up in front of a congressional investigation. They make it super dramatic. And you have the James Woods, the guy played by J- James Woods, the actor, who's great. He's like the, the hard-nosed jerk that nobody wants to, to uh, ever have to be on the other side of the table from. And he's like, so you're saying that we all just need to take this on faith? <laughs> Case closed, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, there's a line from the Matthew McConaughey character. He says, kind of just what we were talking about a minute ago with his, like, who, who is this character? What is he like? He, he kind of sums it up. He says, you could call me a man of the cloth without the cloth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a because he could never a, get because he could never get past the celibacy thing, right. and of course that's what makes this this movie somewhat titillating. Is you got her, him and her in bed, and and uh, they go great together. They're both good looking young people, you know, superstars. Yeah, it's a it's a great film. Came yeah. out in 1997, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis actually finds himself behind a camera in quite a few of these interesting movies. Oh yeah, I think he also did. Um, I think he also did Forrest Gump. Let me just look up his. Let's look up Zemeckis. While he's looking that up, by the way, uh, you know we we really do appreciate listener feedback. I, I want to uh, go through some of the other comments, but one of one of uh, my close friends who is a is a religious Orthodox listener. He he uh, listens quite often. His father had a stroke last night, so I just want to say, hey. Uh, buddy, our, um, <laughs> what, what, I can't think of a good name for you right now, but our, uh, the, it would be Kepler because you, this guy's into music. He, he uh, provided a quote on uh, the Battle of Evermore for one of our, our uh, pages. And so we're going to call you Kepler because Kepler was into the harmony of the spheres. And, uh, you know, our thoughts and, uh, and prayers go out to your family today. I, I just, definitely. uh, say what I said, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I heard this morning that your, your dad had a stroke and, um, I know your dad. And so just want to let you know, we're thinking of you. And I hope that our listeners will, those of you that know, or don't know, you know, uh, say a prayer for his father and his family. I there was a, Uh, there's a there's an old saying that all all good things must come to an end and you know our our lives on this earth are fragile and and everybody um has the uh <laughs> the disadvantage of being in one of these corrupted flesh bodies <laughs> that is not that 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 go, finally goes to dust right ashes to ashes dust to dust and so I, I, I'm not sure what God's plan is for, for his father, for uh, Kepler's father here, our, our friend Kepler, air quotes. But uh, uh, I'm sure he's in God's hands, and, and I hope your family's doing well and that you guys are okay. So, And, and hopefully your dad will recover, and, and we'll see him and be able to talk to him again. Anyway, I uh, didn't mean to, to uh, take a uh, sort of a sad turn here, but I did want to do a shout-out there for... 
for him and his family. Um, but you were going to look at uh, Robert Zemeckis and yeah, see some of the other movies that he's been involved he, in. He's he's uh, he's directed some major major films like the Back to the Future trilogy. He did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Death Becomes Her, Forrest Gump, uh, Contact, which we just talked about, Castaway, uh, The Polar Express. So he's he's been behind the camera uh, for a lot of, of big, interesting films. Um, Back to the Future is great. One of my favorites. Yeah, there's some interesting uh, things going on, in, the, in especially the original Back to the Future. Thinking about you know our, our opening discussion about timelines and time travel a little bit. Yeah, and that was one of the themes of this. These uh, what, what was it called? The um, Neruda interviews was the time travel. And so I was reading along, thinking, okay, this is interesting. Uh, and then it gets to be more. I'm like, am I reading fiction? <laughs> Did I misunderstand what we we're talking about? And and wh- what's crazy is I was. I was having a discussion on uh, esoteric topics with some other friends right before well, they're 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 not close friends but you know positive acquaintances and they had brought up ETs and so then then I started reading these interviews and so my mind was cuz I was trying to they wanted to talk about that and I'm like well, you know, I know as for, from a scriptural standpoint we want to keep that you know cuz we were talking about nib- nibbly type of stuff you want you want to keep that separate and and look at look at look at that from a symbolic, metaphorical, uh, allegorical standpoint because you you, you we got to be careful to put to not put too much specificity on it. The end of Doctrine and Covenants section seventy six basically explains that the, the the beyond the veil stuff or and it's not just all the beyond the veil stuff but the heavens okay because there's there's things that are beyond the veil that aren't in the heavens right this world is cut off that's one one point I want to clarify. Uh, the, when you look at the Ptolemaic model of the cosmos, and that's another topic we'll have to get into because we're crossing over into the more esoteric here. But the the the, the uh, what I'll call the hermetic or esoteric or the the deeper understanding of the reality of this world is that it's in rebellion. It, there was a mutiny. Satan fell. Uh, Adam came over, came down. He fell voluntarily, rather than because his wife took the fruit, okay? That's, a, that's a, just a metaphor in Genesis. And remember, we, we, did, we had a Nibley quote on that where he says, look, they're fairy tales. It's in the third chapter of the book, Enoch the Prophet, on, uh, in the essay entitled Enoch as a Theodicy. He, he, he really uh, calls us out for uh, not, not growing past our childlike faith and recognizing fairy, uh, nursery tales is what he calls them. Because it's, it's a metaphorical story. It's supposed to teach us something. And, and the women get uh, all amped up about it because Eve, Eve has been suppressed in the Orthodox churches for so long because she's the one that took the fruit. And so it's like, well, you need to be, you're the one that, you know, the woman that you gave me, she, she you commanded that she remain with me. She took the fruit and she gave some of it to me. And so then I ate it. So it's her fault. <laughs> you know, it's almost like that, that's where we're at. And uh, anyway, so the Genesis story as a metaphor is important. And, and we're not talking about the physical creation. We're talking about the metaf- metaphysical creation there. And um, anyway, uh, this world is cut off. And, and it's cut off from the system, the system that the gods have, the system of, of progression where the hero can progress beyond 
the the confines of this mortal existence and become the great divinity that he's supposed to be and he has to fight the battle against darkness and so there in this in this cut off fallen world we have the 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 dead dead which are those that are not incarnate and then we also have the dead who are dead to god meaning they're not in the presence of god so they're there's some interesting scriptures in the Book of Mormon that'll back this up where it says, you know, as soon as Adam and Eve fell, they were miserably because they were dead. This is in Helaman chapter 14. So it's it's strange if you don't understand the perspective that this this is often referred to as the realm of death or the death world. And so uh, the point is that Cherubim and a flaming sword metaphorically have been placed in the way of the tree of life so people can't get out of this realm. This realm is a place where the loyalty of the soul is being uh, proven, and whether you're going to be loyal to the gods of light or the gods of dark. And so you have the heavens, which are, um, they, they are beyond that veil. And, and Joseph Smith explained that if you could look into the heavens for five minutes, you would know more than had ever been written on the subject. And so those are, those are veiled to even the people that have gifts. And uh, the nature of the reality is, is a, the true reality is something that is, it, in DNC it explains, in DNC 76, it's, it explains that it's something that is unlawful to be other, uttered, and neither can, could we tell it if we tried. And it's something that God reserves to show to those who know him and love him, it's a, it's a privilege that he reserves to himself to, to, in, to, to show them those things of the heavens. But there are many people in this world who have gifts who uh, see dead people, for example. The M. Night Shyamalan um, Sixth Sense movie is all about that. That's a real thing. I don't know if you've met any people that have those types of gifts, but there are people who see more than just what we see. And the visible spectrum is definitely broader than what, what our visible eyes can see. And there are most certainly intelligences here, entities here, that um, you know we we call it supernatural, right? Because it's beyond the natural. We can't we can't explain it. And um, so you're saying we just need to take all of this on faith? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, there's my there's my uh, soapbox one on of that my, whole subject. There's one of my favorite movie lines ever in the movie contact and i'm gonna i can't find the exact uh quote but the eccentric billionaire who who funds the building of this space-time continuum machine well i don't know if he funds it he's the one that deciphers the he he gives the jodie foster character the key to to understanding it and then they wonder if he was the one that perpetrated it Perhaps, right. But he, uh, you know, you remember one of them is destroyed, right? Before she can... Yeah. They, they build two machines because the says, government always builds two of everything. He says, he says, why build one space-time continuum machine when you can build two at double the price? Right. Which is true. <laughs> Which is also true when you have twins. You don't get a discount at the hospital. <laughs> yeah, two for double the price. Well, here, here, let me just read the end. Um, DNC Doctrine and Covenants 76 is a great um, hermetic or esoteric cosmist section of the, of the Mormon uh, scripture called Doctrine and Covenants. And uh, in it, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon are shown the heavens. 
and they're shown the totality of the existence in a, in a broad way, the, the celestial world, the terrestrial world, and then the world which we inhabit. And they, uh, at the end of it, he says in verse 114, he says, Great and marvelous are the works of the Lord and the mysteries of his kingdom, which he showed unto us, which surpass all understanding in glory and might and in dominion, which he commanded we should not write while we were yet in the spirit. And they're not lawful for man to utter. Neither is man capable to make them known, for they're only to be seen and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit, which God bestows upon those who love him and purify themselves before him, to whom he grants this privilege of seeing and knowing for themselves, so that through the power and manifestation of the Spirit while in the flesh, they may be able to bear his presence in the world of glory. And to God and the Lamb be the glory and the honor and the dominion forever and ever, through all time, place, states. I'm adding that. But purify meaning to purify your mind, to un- unload all the baggage and be willing to, to uh, believe and hear the things that God is willing to give you. So, so anyway, there's a lot of conjecture. The, to, to wrap that whole thought up, there's just a lot of conjecture about extraterrestrials, about, about uh, demons and earthbound spirits and all kinds of supernatural phenomenon, time travel or whatever, and, you know, um, I'm, I'm willing to talk about that stuff. I think it'd be fun, to, fun to, to dive into it. But I just want the listeners to know, everybody from this point on, I'm not married to any one thing. And, um, you know, uh, there's a guy out there on the net that probably some of you have listened to. That's Alex Jones, right? And he has this mission to expose corruption in government. His site is Infowars.com. Love him or hate him. The man is on a mission. He, I, I admire his uh, stick-to-itiveness, his, his um, just constant drive and his energy and his uh, boldness. He's definitely blazed a trail there. And um, he's brought to light a lot of important things. Like they were talking about <laughs> this type of a pandemic takeover a few years ago. He, he uh, called called out uh, the 9-11 attacks and, and pointed out Osama bin Laden several months before they actually happened. I'm not saying he's right on everything. He seemed to take a little bit of a strange turn at the, when Trump was elected. But he, I bring him up because he'll always say, well, we're, he'll get people calling into his show and he's like, well, we're not, we're not talking about chupacabras and ETs here. We got to stick to the point, you know, and, and, and he'll elaborate on that from time to time and say, we have to because we, we've got to keep credibility here and um, expose the government and expose the, 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 world, the, the world takeover that they're trying to engage in and, and the conspiracies and all that stuff. And so I think that's pretty smart that he has limited his, himself to the, and his show to, to certain types of discussion and avoiding other conjecture that's hard to prove. It doesn't mean that it's true or false. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. And I'm, me, I'm voting right now, Bobby, that we don't make that rule. Let's entertain all kinds of conjecture. <laughs> Let's, uh, I, I'm willing to talk about whatever, but what, what we need is more of these uh, thoughts and ideas interjected into the, into the uh, discussion. He does have his share of strange tangents. Oh, yeah, for sure. But he, he, if, if you can still find him out there, his two interviews with uh, Joe Rogan are incredible. They are, it, is, it is really fun really fun conversations but those are harder to find because joe rogan is no longer on youtube because he moved to exclusive with spotify and spotify quietly when they imported his archive 
deleted several episodes. Maybe we can find those and try to link to them. I, do you, are they on BitChute or something like I'm that? I'm sure we could find them, but... somebody th- There's a huge cult following of both of those guys, so they've got to be out there. But they're like four hours long each, and they're... I, I haven't ever listened to them. Amazing. Everybody's told me they're great. The thing with Alex Jones is that, like Jordan said, love him or hate him, that guy can talk. He can go. Oh, in his void. He's a gravelly voice. They're turning the frogs gay. They're turning the frogs gay. And he's got... He's got stories upon stories upon stories. I don't know if the guy is controlled opposition. I don't know. I don't know what he is, but he's he's definitely entertaining and he's very good at what he does. And he has to get credit for that. He's very, yeah, very good. I like him. I like the things I've learned. Uh, of course, take it with a grain of salt. I'm not saying I believe everything that Alex Jones has ever said, but... I like the, the, the work that he's done in exposing the corruption. And he, just like the John Birch Society, they've been right about the march towards world government. And they've yeah. exposed the players. And they, it keeps getting more and more obvious who they are. And, and so I appreciate his work. But, but again, yeah, <laughs> this guy is a dynamo. and He uh, famously infiltrated the Bohemian Grove. Yeah, yeah. And then he called out um, David... What was his name? He was a Clinton advisor, and then he was on CNN. He might still be on CNN. David Ga- Griffin. Gra- <laughs> oh, but he 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 I don't asked know. him point blank about it, and this guy got really upset, really upset. And it, that's a fun interview. And this was years years, and years ago. ago. We're talking twenty. This guy's been doing this for twenty years, and he's dedicated his life to it. He's a man on a mission. And what I don't like is how he just talks over people. Like he has an agenda and he tends to, he'll get a guest on and he won't let them say anything. He wants to steer, steer them and he won't let them finish. And, and a lot of the guests he's had are actually really um, high level people, important, um, smart people. And the, he needs to let them talk more, you know? David Gergen. He asks yes, David Gergen I remember, yeah. about Bohemian Grove. About, we'll, Grove. We'll link to it. It's, it's, it's just... It's amazing to see David Gergen just get really uncomfortable. <laughs> because, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, people didn't know about this. The internet was still free, and the information was there, but they hadn't thought to, to look for it. I mean, do, I don't know if you've ever thought about how you have, like, a small circle of regular stops on the internet. I think about that. Like, I go visit Zero Hedge, and I visit a few other sites you realize how much of an echo chamber, like I, I notice a lot of the s- sites that aggregate news will pick up on the same stories. There is a, there is a myriad, a, a, a universe of information out there that is, is just sitting there waiting to be looked at, that nobody's looking at it because it's not yeah, found. The, the mainstream news, I was reading a, uh, a thing the other day about how the, the mainstream corporate news, so all the names you know, like NBC, CNN, CBS... Fox, they confirm each other's unsourced anonymous stories. Uh, this was famously done with like the Russia, the, the Russia Ru- narrative, the yeah. Russia hoax. So, well, so CBS might post a, a story that says sources confirm that Russia in uh, interfered with the election and that Trump is a is an asset of the Russian government, and so then Fox will come out and say. We are confirming CBS's stories or NBC <clears throat> will confirm. So they're just patting each other on the back. And in doing so, they create this false, this false consensus that these things are 
are real. Right. And then what they'll do is they'll like, like a, the, in the case of the Steele dossier and uh, the whole Russia Trump thing, what they did was, we're not sure who it was, the CIA or the Democrat Party or whatever, but they, they, they have an, a government insider leak something to the press in a couple of outlets that is confirmed, and then, meaning both outlets confirm that a government person leaked this. It doesn't confirm right. that it's true. It just confirms right. that there was a source. And then they start an investigation, so they used their own leak to the press as proof for these warrants that they got in the secret courts and and for for the proof allowing the FBI to go and and dig deeper and um, to essentially uh, infringe upon the Fourth Amendment rights of the of Donald Trump and the Trump campaign and spy on his campaign just like Nixon wanted to spy on on uh, his opponent during Watergate. But then they, they get this sort of pseudo-legalistic authority by leaking it to the press, using that as the evidence required to then get the, the legal authority that has been massaged over the last 50 years to give essentially the government unlimited authority. They just have to jump through a few little hoops. And then they get off scot-free for doing all of this. The Trump administration was impotent. They found copious evidence of malfeasance in the FBI and in, the, in these agencies and in the courts. And they were impotent against it because the whole, the whole system is populated by uh, these people. And some people call it the deep state. But it's so much deeper than that. You know, it's deeper right. than, than what, the, uh, the, uh, what, what the pundits have even been able to expose. The ability to find different sources of information on the Internet has gotten harder and harder over the years. You know, in the early 2000s, we saw the rise of the personal blog, right? And you could set up a, a blog, which is a, a stupid name, which is a, a short name for web log, web log, like a web journal. And it became blog and it stuck. But you, anybody, anybody, anywhere could set up a blog. There were several free uh, services. Yeah. You see, the internet's always been free to do stuff like this, but you needed to know how to do HTML. Right. And so the blogging, the blogosphere explodes when companies started to provide uh, prepackaged website stuff, website software where, or, or services online where people could just sign up. And then right. my, MySpace was kind of like this. Facebook is kind of like that, but those are more controlled environments. Well, I think that the, the, the value of these blogs were, were that they took some effort. Um, to there were a lot of people they, that started produce. blogs, yeah. And then, so what you could do is you could go out there and you could find individuals who, who you knew or you, know, you could find a niche like if you're into rock climbing, you could find other rock climbers who are taking pictures and writing about rock climbing in central Utah or in the Ozarks or whatever. So it was a great way to to learn about activities that you're involved in, find other other people. Um, you know, I'm, I met people that are still friends that we met through blogs, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, Google had a great service called Reader the Google Reader, which where you could go and enter these RSS feeds into a blog or from a blog into So into an this RSS reader. feed is essentially a, a link that gives you access to all the new posts. It, right. it lets you know when the posts are coming it's, up. It's how it's your, an XML it's file. It's how a podcast 
aggregator works we have we have one on our website if you want to get an rss feed you just go to the link and and so every day i would the first thing i would do in the morning was to go to google reader and i would look for new posts from these 30 or 40 blogs that i subscribe to and you could read the whole post right there in the reader um and i remember back in those days blogs would have little uh, rss feed counters like how many people subscribed it was a little social validation right Mm-hmm. And then out of the out of the blue, one day Google just said, "We're we're killing Reader. We're getting rid of it," and that was that was a huge blow to the individual blog. And it coincided with the rise of Facebook and Twitter, which have now basically replaced the personal blog for something that is far less uh, takes far, takes no effort at all to rattle off a Twitter post. Trust me. <laughs> it takes no effort at all to to rattle off a well, and Twitter's dumbed the conversation Facebook, down. A Facebook post. H- how many characters right. can you put in a Twitter post? Like two fifty six or something? Two forty. It was originally, I think, one. It was half that, so like one twenty or something. So it was very concise. They've expanded it, but there's ways around that now. You can you can do what's called a thread, so you can have a multiple tweet discussion. Just you know, if if you need to elaborate on something. But they've, manu- but, they've maneuvered but they, the public into this channel of communication that they right, control, which is, I think, right. the point. And so it took, <clears throat> it really, it killed the personal blog, which the personal blog, again, I have a lot of experience in this, takes a lot of effort. If you want something quality that people will read, you need to post at least three or four times a week, preferably something more than two or 300 words with a, a coherent thought, yeah. some nice photography, uh, Again, and there's there's automated things. You know, WordPress is is the the leader in this space, and they have tons of free resources. Yeah, but WordPress was sort of the democratization of websites, brought everything but, down to an accessible and level. Then, and then at the same time, all this was happening. Happening, corporate news. Again, here's corporate news ruining things. Corporate news started to publish what they called blogs when they weren't blogs at all. They were just news articles, right? And the personal blog is, is nowadays is all but dead. You can still create one. There's still some good ones out there. But they've become, it's, so the, the original point there is it's, it's harder and harder to find all of this independent information. It's still there some, in some regards, but it's harder to find. And of course... It's, you have it's YouTube, also more, you have YouTube that entered this y- y- the conversation and people started yeah, then becoming got, YouTube stars. You've got the vlog, the rise of yeah. the vlog, yeah. which is a stupid nonsense word, video blog. So you see a lot of people doing doing that. And what we're doing is podcasting, right? We're not typing this, this all out. This is an audio blog. And I, and I think that the, you'll see people doing uh, you know, individual podcasts, which is fine. But the, I think the, the format we're using lends itself to this dialogue, right? Uh, and a vlog lends itself to, to person-to-person interaction. We couldn't, we couldn't. Re- I mean, to type this out is going to take a lot of time. We got to edit it. We got to make it sure it sounds natural. Like, oh, and then Bobby said this, and and Jordan even, said that, and. But you, you know, YouTube is is going through what the written blog went through ten years ago, and that's these independent voices are being eradicated. Yeah, being cut out. They helped build the. They built the. Uh, mystique and credibility of YouTube and and the power of it, the the utility of it, 
they so essentially YouTube crowdsources all of that and it turns around and stabs the crowd right in the back and says right. and now, F you crowd. Now YouTube uh, promotes the corporate news that CBS, the NBCs, Fox, MSN, BC, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all the C's and the B's and in, the A's and the N's in favor and that, yeah. of of you know, the regular person. And it wasn't that long ago where YouTube, I think their slogan was broadcast yourself. Now it's broadcast broad- corporate media. Broadcast corporate their media. Their slogan should be collusion. And of course, Google's original slogan was what? Don't be evil. Don't be evil. Now the slogan is be evil. Officially, right? Probably. Bobby, I mean, probably. that's offic- probably somewhere on the wall back there. Uh, well, the, there's, a, there's a slogan and somebody's taken the, the it used don't. To- off. Yeah, they just cross it out. It used to be that the Hippocratic Oath for, now it's the for hip- doctors hypocritical. for doctors was first do no harm. Now, for many, I think it's first do as much harm as you can. Right. Because <laughs> then you have a recurring revenue tre- stream. Tremendous harm is being done. And, you know, the, the whole pandemic theater has exposed a lot of that. Here, here in, in the great state of Utah, before the pandemic... BP before pandemic. Right. And great state. He put in air quotes. No, I'm putting it in air quotes. I love Utah. It's a beautiful state, but the management right now (laughs) is a problematic thing. But there there was an ongoing, uh, let's call it a discussion about the role of opioids and the way that they were being prescribed by doctors in this state. If, you know, if you look up pre-pandemic or let's stick with before pandemic bp 2019 bp okay because now 2021 is not 2021 we need to set up all of our acronyms for the omniverse so bp 2021 pandemic 2021 is actually the year one ap after pandemic 2021 is equal to one ap ap being after Pandemic, but Utah. Okay, got U- it. Utah was was one of the leading, if not the leading, state in the country for opioid addiction. And there's lots of theories why that was. Is it because of the word of wisdom? That's one of the theories. There's a theory that there's a lot of there's also a lot of cosmetic surgery happening in Utah, and so those two things kind of go hand in hand because those things those drugs get prescribed after the surgery and then it leads See, to that's addiction. A whole, that's a whole nother top a whole nother topic for another day. There's the plastic surgery going on in your neighborhood, in your ward, in your <laughs> right. Right. There's uh there there's a lot of different theories. Um but you can't let the doctors who pres- who overprescribe this stuff off the hook. That's part of the problem too. And that was a discussion that was happening. There used to be a lot of uh, billboards up and down I-15. Yeah, the, that used to be the right? epidemic. And now those have all been replaced with get the vax, they, get the vax. Right. They would put. They had these public service announcements about the opioid epidemic. Right. Is it, is that what they called yeah. it? Oh yeah. The they called it the opidemic. They did right. Yeah. They yeah. had some PR. <laughs> involved. Yeah, they didn't have as much money behind it, but you you remember it well, there because was no, there was a there lot was no cares money. No, but there was a lot of money behind it. It was it was making uh, billboards all over the place. Now it's safe and effective. Well, it's I don't want to. I don't. By go, the way, I don't want to go. Down by the that way, road. no, 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 no. We got to talk about this. Do you or do you not think that the Pfizer and Moderna guys have submarined AstraZeneca and Johnson oh, and Johnson? Absolutely, because. That that there's all this news now about how the J and J uh, and AstraZeneca vaccines are causing blood clots. 
and it's like six six or eight people or something. And now now the sky is falling. And we need to shut them down and take away their emergency authorization. It's really interesting because but there's all kinds of other adverse reactions with the Pfizer and Moderna one. And right, so right there's it's an interesting. I I think what we're seeing play out is in the public you see this pause right and in yeah i don't know if the az astrazeneca has been paused in the u.s but it has been paused i don't think in it made other it, countries i don't think it ever got like emergency in authorization the, in i don't think it got in emergency Europe. authorization here it might not have. i don't think it had author, authorization i so i think what we're seeing play out in the public is this medical uh abundance of caution that's a phrase i've seen oh. thrown out <laughs> we know about that phrase but i think behind the scenes what it is is exactly what you said moderna and pfizer are torpedoing this it's remember the j and j is not an mrna vaccine it it simulates a it simulates sars 2 um um it's it's it simulates the antibodies or it sparks the antibody growth or development that would occur from being exposed to SARS-2, SARS-CoV-2. And again, I'm, I'm, I have a very rudimentary understanding of all this, but it's not mRNA. And the mRNA is being pushed really hard, really hard. And Moderna, Moderna is an interesting company because you know how many, you know, you know how many products Moderna has brought to market? One. One. In its entire existence. And you know what that product is? A vaccine. The mRNA, mRNA COVID vaccine. vaccine, which only got brought to market because of emergency youth authorization. Okay, so we're gonna link to we're gonna link to an article on childrenshealthdefense.org, which we've linked to before. 18 reasons not to get the COVID vaccine. But number 13 is Fauci and others at the NIAID own patents on the Moderna vaccine. So the same people who are trying to push this are profiting it's, in the background. We we have to ask ask yourself, and especially those here in Utah. I don't know if in other states the propaganda is so over the top. Here in Utah, it's insane, and we have to ask ourselves why are why is the government pushing this vaccine so well? Tucker Carlson blatantly. was asking that. Like, right? It's like she doth protest too much. Me think. That, and that and it doesn't mean that the it's not about protesting it's about credibility if you read it, that's from hamlet okay the the drama <laughs> in hamlet if you remember there's a there's a troop of of traveling gypsies troubadours whatever that come in and uh perform a play and hamlet because his father has been murdered spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> now Hamlet is old enough. He should have. He, <laughs> he should, should at have least already know gotten, the basics of that uh, yeah. plot. The Mel Gibson version is pretty good. I like that. I think it's. I think it's a little truncated. But anyway, these he he's he's has seen his dead father. He's supposed to avenge his death, and and um he's having all these problems interacting because his mom is married married his uncle who killed his father, and and um anyway, so this traveling group of of troubadours comes in and they're going to do a play for everybody. And Hamlet, he's like, oh, awesome. I'm going to, let me be involved in this. And he works with them and he writes a script about the, the events of what happened in it. He reenacts, he the, reenacts murder the murder right in front of the murderer. Yeah. It's and brilliant. The mom, the mom doesn't know that's, that it's happened, but she's, she's happy. She likes the, her new husband. And, and so, uh, and the dad is, or, or the, the, you the know, uncle. the, the murderer, the uncle, he's the new king. He's totally 
feeling he guilty. He, 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 he loses yeah, it. He loses it over it this. It all unravels and they all end up. But there's this point where there's the dead. yeah, there's this yeah, they all kill each other. But the the uh, the po- there's this point in the play that the, that the troubadours are putting on the gypsies, and uh, where where the the king has been murdered and the um, the wife, the mother, is uh, is just like making this big fuss about the whole thing. Like she's she's just oh it couldn't be that it couldn't be it wasn't this it wasn't that and uh, and the mom the queen says she doth protest too much methinks because she's she's identifying with the character and she's like but 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 you because she she understands she knows deep down in her own psyche that that's exactly what happened to her but she wouldn't go be so forward about it and she's losing credibility by acting that way and so anyway tucker carlson has a whole uh montage on the vaccine marketing and it's really it ought to be titled she doth protest too much me thinks because the whole thing is that kills their credibility. The fact that they're they're drumming it into our heads and using all this money to to uh, was, um, produce propaganda. It's they lack credibility. They should lack credibility. I was watching baseball on ESPN last night, and I've mentioned before I, I love baseball, and I'll uh, it's hard for me to abstain from watching it even when it's on these mainstream networks that have become political action committees, but. <laughs> I was watching baseball last night and there was an ad that came on for, with a bunch of old baseball players, like one of my childhood favorites, Dave Winfield, telling me to get the vaccine. And I'm like, why? 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 I also... It's it, because nobody, nobody wants to get it. It was also announced that that more than half of the United States has received at least one dose of the shot okay so now we've we've devolved to peer pressure and here in the here in utah they're claiming that at least a third of the population has received the shot now i my little spidey senses are going off when i see these numbers i don't trust those numbers at all do we really believe that one out of every two people in the united states has received at least one shot? My, my guess is we've at least purchased that many vaccines from these companies, meaning our tax dollars, because the, ta- the vaccine's free, right? It's, well, it's, is that correct or not? It is, but it's not, of course. Meaning, but, meaning yeah, you can go and get your appointment and get, get the shot for meaning free. Meaning we're going to pay for this. We're going to pay for this as a society when we have to pay the piper. We're going to pay for it in blood and lives and tears. Pfizer's already said that soon enough they're going to raise the price, and then I think it'll be they're going to start it'll, charging it'll for start, it. You'll start having to pay out of pocket. So but, if you weren't an early adopter, you have to pay for it, right? And of course, we're seeing the the Vax passports and all that. But these numbers are are suspicious to me because, especially here in U- Utah, is <clears throat> Utah has a population of about three point two million people, and and the most idiotic of them have become the governor. Right. Thank you, Tucker Carlson. Yeah, we're, we'll link to that one, too. But <laughs> but it's also, Utah has a very young population. We have a lot of kids here. And they're claiming that the state, of, the state is saying that they've administered 1.8 million doses of the vaccine. So either uh, that counts as those with just one shot and those who have been, quote, 
fully vaccinated. Of course, no one's been fully vaccinated because Pfizer and Moderna are saying you're you're going to need boosters. (laughs) And by the way, and probably more after that, folks, this is becoming, I just said folks, that's folks. That sounds like Spencer Cox, who always says friends, friends. No, I'm not your friend. Okay, Cox, I'm not your friend. Okay, I thought you were talking to me for a minute. No, no, made me feel bad. People, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> folks, this COVID vaccine is going to become the new flu shot. You're going to need it every year. Okay, you're going to need it every year because it's the flu shot. Like the flu shot, it's a cash cow. It's the for cold. These companies. It's the cold shot. Because coronavirus right. is the common cold. It's the second most common cause of the common cold. You know that we've talked about that. It's now the cold shot. They've, so why, co- they've commoditized so the common again, cold. Again, no one can answer the question for me legitimately. Why? Why are they pushing it so hard? The the common answer is, well, COVID is the deadliest pandemic since whatever. Well, it's not. And and there's that's objectively true. The other thing that's really strange is that people who have been, quote, fully vaccinated are still wearing masks and they're still social distancing and they're still isolating and they're doing it with this strange pride, this strange... You like know, Spencer Cox wearing his mask yeah, he's been while, vaccinated. He takes, while he takes... Calls from listeners in on a, in Zoom a, on Zoom in a room with nobody else in it. Did you notice too that the room was this gaudy palace, palatial, palatial. like like come on, bro? And he's got this black mask on. And he looks idiotic. Anyway, C- Tucker Carlson just lampoons him, just roasts him, finally, big time. Finally, and the the issue was that uh, he's having this call-in show. What, what do you call it? The, the program. He's got this magnanimous. Like, let, let me talk to the governor. This magnanimous, ti- mag- magnanimously titled. I'm I'm going to stoop down to the level of the common people and yeah. answer some yeah, questions. Basically, and uh, one of the callers calls in and says, "You got to take." The caller it from here. calls in and says, "I'm paraphrasing." He says, his name is David from Highland. And David from Highland, if you listen to this, please send us a note on our website and I will buy you a drink. Yeah, I'll buy you one too. David from Highland. Decaffeinated. David from (laughs) Highland says, hey, Governor, do you think it's racist that the Utah Jazz are excluding white kids from their scholarship program? And what are you going to do about that racism? (laughs) So he loads (laughs) the question at the end, which which I thought was very funny, but... And of course, uh, Cox goes on to give this. And let's stop for a minute there. Absolutely, it is racist well, to, look, and segregationist to have a scholarship program that's only for non-whites. Well, By the way, well, ex- just let's let's make that clear right now. Right. There's no. There's nothing. Ex- there's no excluding argument. Excluding anybody solely based on the color of their skin is the definition. First, first grade definition. Right. Of racism. Right. If this were. The Utah Jazz excluding black kids from a scholarship, it would spark national outrage. I looked up some whites-only scholarships, okay? I wanted to see what was out there. And there's some there's one really obscure thing from a lady from Iowa who was very who was very wealthy in like the 19 aughts or something, you know, a long time ago. In her will, she left a bunch of money to Columbia University for what they called then a fellowship. And there were stipulations that the person who received the money or, or money, you know, money towards these fellowships had to be from Iowa. They had to be white and they had to return to Iowa after their education for at least two years. So, so she's pretty much a micromanager, but that's, but that's her that, money. That was the, yeah, it's her money. And, uh, it was, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, this, 
was made a little, you know, made the news cycle and, and Columbia didn't like it. Did they f- try to fix it? Because I think that they had said something like, we haven't done these fellowships for a long time. And so because they have to give the money back to the estate because there's a that's a right. legal contract. The re- she, you can give money to the school and, and impose those types of restrictions. Right. And I think that their way around it was something like nowadays we have these anti-discrimination laws. And so legal, I, I think legally they, we can still I think keep- they stopped giving the fellowship and stopped and did not return the money. But they just uh, used the interest further, off of it. It would need further. Uh, research. There was another one where a guy from, I think, from Massachusetts created a whites-only scholarship. I'm putting air quotes because it was like a $250 gift, and he was doing it to say, "Look how stupid this is." You know, it was a parody. So it's recent. This is recent. It was yeah. It was another you know within the last 15 years or something. And he was saying, "Look how dumb it is to create these things based solely on people's skin color." Because of course, people were criticizing it unironically and un, un, <laughs> self-aware. Yeah. Even though it was a parody, that the gift was still given out. So, but in all the cases that I could find, these whites-only scholarships got national criticism, as they should have, because it's kind of silly, right? But at the end of the day, for the lady in Iowa, if you want to take her money, you got to follow her, right? So because they're going to make money on the interest, they, those those endowments grow to be huge investment funds, right? You know. So the the answer Spencer Cox gave was: keep in mind he's wearing a mask alone on Zoom, <laughs> okay, <laughs> which just adds to the absurdity. He says, "No, it's not racist." And I, I'm paraphrasing here. We could pull up the transcript, but he says, "No, it's not racist. I think it's an awesome program, and I'm not going to do anything to the Utah Jazz because they can do whatever they want with their money." Okay, that's true. Of course, the yeah. Utah Jazz and any other individual should be able to do whatever they want with their money. Cox doesn't seem to realize the double standard, though, that a business who chose chooses not to enforce a mask mandate can get fined. Uh, when there was the state mandate. But yet, see, Cox unwittingly makes the old kind of libertarian... Right, yeah. (laughs) Jordan just showed me the Utah Valley magazine cover with Spencer Cox as the person of the year. Yeah, you sent that to me. I I get a lot of things from Bobby about Spencer Cox. I think he might have a secret crush. But Tucker, (laughs) Tucker Carlson goes on and he says... He, well, he, he just completely eviscerates well, first, what, what, Co- what Cox, Cox said. <clears throat> Cox makes the old school uh, argument that classical liberals and libertarian types in the 60s made in opposition to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 when they were saying, we don't need this. You know, it's been, it, the opposition to that has been kind of rewritten to be rooted in racism, which it wasn't. I mean, I'm sure there was some. Who, who cares, though, right? The principled, the principled mainstream opposition to the Civil Rights Act was we don't need the government telling private businesses who they can and can't serve. If a lunch diner wants to be racist, they have that right, and then customers have the right to, to decide not, go there. Not, not to patronize that business, and that business needs to... Ha- right, and they're kind of making that argument the about consequences. they're kind of making that argument about the masking and the forced vaccination right. type of stuff right now in 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 the periphery. You're seeing that start to develop. So Cox says, "I'm not going to do anything to the jazz because they can spend their money how they want." Yes, of course, 
we don't want you doing anything to the jazz. But that doesn't change the fact that excluding students based on their race is right. A, he goes is, on to make the brain. He it's, goes. He goes on to make the brain damaged argument that it's a good thing because there's this. It's it's essentially the systemic racism argument that it's a good thing because there are underprivileged people and they do need and he, help. And, he says that because we've had slavery in this country and there is racism in this country that we need to have more racism. I mean, he overtly exposes him as not. I mean, sure, he's a Republican, but he's not conservative in the sense of conservative. He's not what Utah thought. He exposes himself as a Trojan horse. And he has a few times, and I'm just glad he's finally starting to get some mainstream attention. Keep in mind, he's only been governor since January, and he's he's very much exposed himself as a... As a Blithering idiot. Well, that, but a woke kind of... He will kowtow, kowtow to the woke mob. Yeah, to anything. And he's done this with some trans with trans a transgender sports bill. He's done this with uh just finances and the the covid silliness. Um so he's he's he's, right. a, he's we, we he's need a, to recall law in Utah. Let me let me read yeah, Tucker's do. comment. Let me read right. his comment. I just want to quote Tucker because he says and I got this from Bobby and then I watched the clip. There's a lot of dumb people in America. It's a problem when they become governor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tucker Carlson doesn't does not give. He doesn't mince words. Spencer Cox a break here, and and he doesn't deserve a break. He doesn't. And and I don't think you know you can't let the jazz off the hook either. The ownership of the jazz, not the players. This has nothing to do with the players. But they've been doing this for a while. I was at a jazz game a couple of years ago, uh, BP. So uh, maybe let's see. If it was March 2020, it would probably have been um, one BP. It was on Martin Luther King Jr. Day or Civil Rights Day. And man, they were laying it on thick, the whole civil rights thing. They, they, and I, I know it was Civil Rights Day, but my understanding is because my brothers got, had season tickets. I don't know what they're doing now, AP, but uh, of course, AP is after pandemic. Right. Just you got to you got to stay on your toes for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> because now we're going to invent a bunch of jargon and acronyms. But uh, yeah, I I think it's pretty common. I do you have you attended some games and gotten that? Not um, AP. Okay, but you recall last year during the zero the the reset of our calendar, the NBA played in the bubble. They called it the bubble, and they had they literally had Black Lives Matter logo on the court. They had a corporate oh yeah logo on the court, which is not uncommon. But in this case, the corporate logo was BLM, who raised tens of millions of dollars from organizations like the NBA and Nike and Apple. By the way, in a in a in a you get what you pay for episode, Apple donated millions of dollars to BLM, and Antifa turned around in Portland and burned down, or at least severely damaged, an Apple store with fire the other day. 
So you get what you pay I, I, for. I've seen that uh, same theme reoccurring across the country. Like Foot Locker donated a bunch of money, mm-hmm. and then their stores have been looted. You re- can never appease stores, the woke right, mobsters. Their stores have been it. repeatedly looted. Repeatedly in, in Minneapolis I saw, area. I saw a funny thing. It said, how many Foot Lockers need to die before we end racism? <laughs> <laughs> You know, kind of zooming out from all of this, the the country is being it's sort of it's sort of a simmer right now, but there are riots happening in big cities. There are more mass shootings than you can keep track of. Things are happening rapidly, and I think we're going to have a very, very hot summer. Yeah. Well, you got the Chauvin trial that's going to conclude, right? This is the guy the that... The jury is... Uh, the is, jury's is out, out. Proverbially or literally? Yeah, they're, they're literally out. The, the trial is over, and now there's the deliberations, and I think the verdict's supposed to be coming soon. And okay, so there's a curious dynamic here, because if, if you watch it or paid attention... There's no way that you can convict Chauvin based on the evidence. The, the evidence should acquit him. But you have people out there, including an elected sitting congresswoman named Maxine Waters from California, saying, if you do not find him guilty, jury, We're riot. we will riot. That's called jury tampering, and it's a federal crime. It's also inciting a riot. It's also what they accused Trump of doing on January yeah. 6th. And yeah. it's, very, it's much, 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 much more explicit. And then just hours after she said that, there was a there was a drive-by shooting at a, a police at, station at a National Guard station. Oh, okay. And may, maybe there was police there too. So well, it was like the place. It was like the nexus where the guard interacts right. with the police. Using or I don't, I don't using the January Six logic, she should be under investigation. Oh yeah, yeah. And they should put up a big fence around her, <laughs> right? An unscalable fence. But, uh, okay, so we really shouldn't be podcasting. We should be out stockpiling because we can see exactly what's going to happen. Chauvin's going to be acquitted or something, and then riots. I mean, how is that not? Uh, I think we're going to see if, riots if you no had to, okay, what. So if we're going to make predictions, I, 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 uh, you know, I'm not going to bet a lot of money here but because, you know, I, I tend to get proven wrong often enough, right? I think we're going to see... I think we're going to see riots. I think he's going to get acquitted. We're going to see riots no matter what. I think we're going to see a hung jury. I don't think they're going to... Oh. I think the jury... A mistrial? I think they're going to be smart enough to know that there's going to be... But that will, that will cause a riot. All, well, of course, anything's going to cause a riot. Him he's being a, found guilty will yeah. cause a riot. Okay. <laughs> they're just going to riot. Okay. <laughs> I think there's one or two people in that room, in the jury room, who is not going to allow an, a unanimous decision. And it has to be unanimous because it's murder and manslaughter. I think there's at least one person in there who's going to say, the evidence does not convict this person. But we'll see. I'm sure every single one of those jurors is, has had their life threatened as well. I'm I'm sure of it. If they haven't, they will. Yeah. And I can tell you if they do have a hung jury or are unable to come to a decision or they acquit, all 12 of those people will need to find new lives, <laughs> new names, new lives. They'll need to live in the witness protection program. They will need to live in the wilds of Alberta, Canada or something. Which by the way, which is under bad, lo- which is under lockdown right now. It is, but it wouldn't be a bad life. Well, it uh, if the government wasn't insane, yeah. Alberta's great and British Columbia is great. 
Ontario is out of control. Ontario is a police state. Well, getting back to, I just want to make one point. I've talked about the carpet bombing or the carpet bombing of the American mind. This is psychological warfare, fourth generation asymmetrical warfare, and it literally is a fourth generation asymmetrical carpet bombing. And if you're not aware of what carpet bombing is, it's a term that evolved out of World War II where the Americans would send bombers over Germany and over Italy and Poland and all these places, and um, they would send like a swarm, like hundreds of bombers and not all of them would return i have an uncle that was killed over the oil fields at ploesti i believe he was uh, flying the head of a he was the head of a squadron of b-24s this was just like dozens if not hundreds of airplanes and they the technology back then was not as accurate as it is right now. They have smart bombs now, right? They've got laser-guided missiles and things like that. They're very precise with their murders. Well, you can, um, they've also taken the risk out of a lot of this. With the, the drone pilot sits in a trailer somewhere in Tucson or whatever that, and yeah. can kill people in Afghanistan. That's true too. It's so even the, it's the even pilots more aren't even at risk. Now they still drop bombs from planes, but yeah, but but back in the day, you would you would do what was called carpet bombing. They would just fly hundreds of aircraft over and just drop bombs in the area, and whole cities were firebombed out, and whole areas around uh, industrial complexes were bombed out, and so the bombs just drop everywhere. And what do you do if you're standing underneath that? You can't do anything. I mean, they would shoot. They had flak guns, you know they. They would, uh, they would shoot off their anti-aircraft guns and, and knock a few of those bombers out of the air, but it's just relentless. And it's like, that's what's happening in media right now is we're, knock, we're using our flak guns to knock down as much untruth as we can and as much silliness as we can, but there's so much of it. They're going to get, it's the avalanche idea that we talked about in one of our episodes. Once the fire gets burning, it's almost unstoppable. It's the... It's the fiend fire from Harry Potter 7. Do you remember Harry Potter 7 when... Did you read those books? Mm -hmm. I love Harry Potter. Crab and Goyle, uh, they're in the room of requirement trying to get the diadem of Ravenclaw. And they they cast a spell that's this fire and the fire becomes like um, out of control. It's, this, it, uh, it's unstoppable and it ends up devouring... I think both of them, and they only yeah. rescue. They they happen to rescue Draco. They get Malfoy out, but I think I think Crab and Goyle, Crab and Goyle both get die. burnt up in the fire. But the the way it shows up in the movie is pretty cool. They don't they don't talk about it very much. They kind of show Crab or Goyle trying to get the fire to stop from his wand, but. Uh, there's like a huge dragon, fi a fiery dragon that comes after right. him, and, and it's kind of cool. But, but yeah, the that's a that's a real thing. That the, the the fire the fire caused by the hubris of mankind can get out of control. It really can. Those books are interesting in the in the sense that from one to seven, the um, the battle between good and evil gets very serious. Oh yeah. In the beginning, it's kind of well, have we you talked know, about them as a hermetic allegory before? Not on the show, I don't think. Well, we have before, right? Right. Well, uh, that might be a fun show one time to, to dissect Harry Potter. Uh, the Quidditch, alle Quidditch allegory. Right. Uh, I used to think it was this nonsensical soccer replacement. It's, it's a very elegant um, metaphor about eternal progression. Um, 
And I, I, the fact that he goes through seven years of schooling, right. he, you're a wizard, Harry. You're you know, a he, wizard, Harry. He finds out he's not normal, right? You know, and he has to learn about how to how well, to you've behave. Got, you've got the classic hero's journey at play. You've got a lot of symbolism. I think it's really clever the uh, this idea of the Horcrux and how Harry. Voldemort uh, portions yeah, his soul right. off into and how different Harry places, and he can't himself be kind of becomes a spoiler alert here. Kind of becomes a, a an unintended Horcrux. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on. W- one of the questions I've always had when we have talked about it off off the air. This isn't the air. Off of the recording <laughs> is off of what we're going to did, put out there did, for public consumption. And this could be true of uh, any any of these movies. Uh, and books and stuff that we've talked about. Did J.K. Rowling know what she was doing? Or did this symbolism sort of, in these allegories, did they just sort of evolve over time because of the cosmos and the yeah the permanence and the ever-presence of these motifs and ideas? Well, there's like three possibilities in my mind. The, the hero's journey story, the monomyth, the, uh, the, the syncretous religions of the ancient world— uh, permeating our cultures, they uh, it could be echoes. So first of all, it could just be kind of an echo of that. And there's a lot of it's just in our blood. It's resonant well, the, in our psyches. The hero's journey is common enough where she could have written down like, okay, we need a call to adventure, and we need a wise and helpful guide. Like, I could see her doing that, like checkboxing this thing, but not, but not the type of detail. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But but so so you've got that. It's just in our blood. It's in our DNA. It's. Uh, it's resonant with us. And, and we've talked about how star Wars jumped the shark, you know, can we say that it, it became, mm-hmm. it lost all this credibility when, when Ray doesn't have to go through any sort of a yeah, journey. They took away the progress, yeah, the progression. Yeah. So, so, uh, we, we innately know what's a good story and what's not a good story. Right. Especially as we get a little older, but see, and I don't mean this to be necessarily like insulting, but I, JK Rowling doesn't strike me as a, philosophical person well i don't know that much about her i, I don't either i, I just I'm... read one interview where she said she was asked about the symbolism and she said well i would have thought the symbolism was obvious and she also she went through a little period there where she tried to appease the woke mob and yeah. she retconned that's a comic book term she retconned dumbledore and said oh he's actually gay and what of course, does retcon mean for the listening the audience? Ret- I didn't know this until Bobby explained ba- it to me. is basically a rewriting. It's it's a common term in kind of the comic book world. So where you would go back and change the story. So, and, it, and this happens a lot because you 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 kill off a character and you realize we need that character, and so you bring him back from the dead somehow, or you go back and in a lot of these comic book universes you have canon and non-canon. Uh, Stories, orthodoxy right? and non-orthodoxy, and then the canon are the official stories. Like some people might say, well, are the Timothy Zahn novels, Star Wars novels, canon? And they probably aren't anymore. I think for a while they were. And those, the ones I'm thinking of, he wrote a trilogy that took place after the original three films, so A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and uh, Return of the Jedi. He wrote a trilogy of books that took place after that. Well, mm-hmm. we've now had movies that take place after that. And so it invalidates and the so, story. And those aren't based on the Timothy Zahn novels. You should go read those novels. I, I remember reading them and thinking they were pretty good, but I haven't looked at them for a long Spell time. Spell Zahn. 
I think it's Z-A-H-N. So anyway, so were those okay. canon or non-canon? Listeners, that, that was a homework assignment for listeners, not directed specifically at me, right? Right. <laughs> Either way. So retconning could changing what is and what isn't canon. It's changing, you know, uh, a character's... But J.K. Rowling came out a few years ago and said, oh, Dumbledore's gay. And, and you know, I had a problem with it, not because I really care whether he's gay or not, but because she was obviously just trying to win credit with this... The woke the, mob. The political zeitgeist and the mob. The Twitter mob. But the real problem I had with it was that there's absolutely nothing in these thousands of pages of text in these seven books that would indicate that. So she's retconning her own character based on nothing. Right. You know, if if she hinted at it in the text or something, I, I could kind of understand that. Well, you know, she could say something like, well, nobody really picked up on it or... Or, you know, but it's not, it's not implied at all. And so it was just this weak pandering, well, but then she's recently gotten canceled. Yeah. And, and we got to the point where, uh, you know, Harry Potter was so impressive as a, as a seven piece work that, and gains this worldwide fame. Uh, it stands on its own. You know, they they had to do some derivative works, but the derivative works are always lackluster. And so like yeah. the fantastic beasts, interesting movies, kind of fun, Kind of stupid in a lot of ways. It's fun to revisit the universe. But yeah, that's so, about it. But that's all they're doing is they're revisiting the universe, and they they clearly revisited it with statist overtones. Like they had to check their wands when they came to America. Gun control. Right. Come on. Well, and that's one of the nice uh, themes in the originals is that the the state is, you know, the ministry the the ministry of magic is part of the criminal syndicate. They are. They are enabling Voldemort. Oh, the, the Daily Prophet, the Oblivious, right. and uh, enabling media. Right. Voldemort takes over the government. I mean, there's so they much. They take over education. They take over the education establishment. Yeah, there's so much there in Harry Potter to you have talk a little, about. You have a, a liberty movement that's underground. Yeah. And they're living in, in you know, yeah. secret houses. Yeah, and, and then they f- that, that's what's so terrible about the, about the Fantastic Beasts is like it almost switches when they come over to America They've got gun control. And the, the Fantastic Beast Wand control. takes place before Harry Potter, right? It's it's previous. Yeah. It's yeah, many years in I know, the, fu- I know, in the I know, past, but, right? But yeah, yeah but, I'm just setting it. You know, it's you're right, you're right. But it's that's not the point. The point right. is the point is it turned from an awesome uh esoteric eternal progression, cosmist allegory, whatever you want to call it, hermetic allegory, into statist propaganda. And it's right. like, what the And I never read the book. So I don't know the Fantastic Beasts. And wasn't it was, it was a book? there a book? I think it was a play. Was it a play? I don't know. I never read the written version of it, but I, we, so I don't know how could, much that we could ask Google. But get, getting back to the tangent, uh, there, there, this was the we we're talking about how uh, authors sometimes have echoes of the monomyth or of the of the hero's journey story, of the cosmic story, and that that's that's where their their work uh, derives from. I don't think J.K. Rowling's is that. The other two possibilities are they either really know something consciously or they've been influenced or inspired by the muse. Yeah, I was just going to bring up the muse. The muse is an interesting thing that gets, I think, mischaracterized. I think a lot of people think it's... Or one of the muses. You've got to explain who the muse is. Right. Well, in general, they you know, you'll hear about the muse as a... you know. A, I'm feeling inspired to write today. Right. So when I'll artists, sit down and write. When artists are talking about right. the muse. In Greek mythology, the muses are uh, these female divine uh, goddesses that 
are responsible for certain arts and sciences, and they they bring those to mankind. Right. So in uh, modern art or modern uh, creativity, uh, people will often people will often get inspirations and then they'll attribute it to a muse. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a conscious thing. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. So they, they attribute it to heaven. Rightly so. They're inspired. But it doesn't mean that people who study extensively and work things out and then get inspired at the same time, it doesn't mean that they're also not inspired by the heavens. It's just that that's more of an overt conscious thing. And in some cases, like a Joseph Smith, you get the heavens opening up and you see manifestations and visions and whatnot. So all related to the same concept, but this idea of just an an author having been inspired by the muses is that, yeah, they had some inspiration about a storyline or, or factors in the story. And, um, they, they, they're not sure how to put their finger on it, but, they, but it came out as a beautiful, a beautiful work in a resonant story. Right. There's a, an author named Brandon Sanderson, who is very prolific. He's written, uh, his, probably his, well, I, I don't know what I was gonna say his flagship work, but I guess it depends on what your introduction to him was, but he has a, well, I think will be or is becoming his flagship work called the Stormlight Archive. Um, he's just released book f- four, I think, of, of a plan 10. But um, look up those books. He's also got uh, he's also got a series of books called. Um, man, my mind just went blank. We'll. Um... But in in I'm just gonna edit all this to, out. But in the Stormlight Archive, don't edit it out. <laughs> in the Stormlight Archive, there is a char- a character named Kaladin. Now these are minor spoilers, okay? Because these are these are relatively newish books, so I'm not gonna spoil them for you. Okay. But there's a character named Kaladin, and he has a little companion, um, named Sil, who how do you spell Kaladin? You know what? I don't know because I've been listening to the books. <laughs> okay. <and laughs> I think it's You don't K-A- know how to spell Syl either? S-S-Y-L? S-I-L? Okay. <clears throat> I don't know. I've been listening to the audiobooks. I'm just making notes. And they're like 55-hour audiobooks. Oh, wow. You're they're, they're big. They're, they're big, fat books. And I usually, okay. uh, I'll listen to them when I exercise or when I drive. But um, Sill is, I think, a personification of the muse. And I don't know if Brandon Sanderson meant this, mm-hmm. but she's this little slice of divinity, literally a little piece of God in this universe. And mm-hmm. she protects him. She's a friend. She, you know, she's this little um, sort of ethereal manifestation, a humanoid. Like and an she a- can, angel on the shoulder, kind of an angel on the shoulder. She can take on different forms. It's so it's it's a cool. Uh, he Br- Brandon Sanderson is really, really good at world building. He can world build maybe better than any any author I've ever read, and uh, so I highly recommend him. He's also a local person. Cool. Teaches a class down at BYU. You can find it for free on YouTube, um, where he talks about his writing process. He teaches a creative writing class so if if you're into that you probably already know about him but <laughs> if if you i so side note here read fiction i don't think enough people are reading fiction nowadays i think we get caught up and we we read self-help books we read biographies and autobiographies and we read you know um news crap read fiction fiction is amazing and it's important for our uh 
our spirit, our spiritual and our intellectual journey and progression. And so we talk a lot about fiction on this show because I think it's, and I don't, and, and yeah, watch movies too, because movies are a great visual uh, manifestation of these, but read too. But of course, think of the higher meaning, right? Like try to, try to figure it out. Uh, J.K. Rowling, getting back to her, I'm, the question is, was she cognizant or was she just influenced by the muse? Was there a group of people? Whatever. I definitely think the Avengers was an intentional inversion. Like those were, th- that was cognizant, right, right. clear, intentional effort to pervert the story of the cosmos. But uh, J.K. Rowling has a, it's a, I think the, the seven books, they stand alone. They're a beautiful hero's journey, hermetic allegory. And we should talk about those sometime. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be a good, a good uh, deep dive. Add it to the, add it to the list. <laughs> to the long yeah, list. Yeah, add it to the list. Did you ever see the Hateful Eight? No. What's that? It's a Quentin Tarantino movie. When we were talking about Hamlet, I re- I thought of it, and it's this old west. Yeah. And this group of eight people are snowed in at a cabin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of them's a fugitive. So he's, he's, uh, or he's, he's captive. Uh, the law has him right. Or the bo- a bounty hunter has him and they still, so anyway, they spoilers. I'm just going to spoil it. They all end up dead. Okay. <laughs> Reminded me of when we were talking about Hamlet. Hamlet. <laughs> it's still worth watching. It is, it's typical Tarantino. It's violent and it's. This is not for, um, uh, family consumption. No, no, but it's, there's some great great performances and acting and okay the whole thing takes place in one room oh really eight people basically the whole movie there's a little setup at the beginning but it's huh um, interesting it's sort of a modern 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 shakespearean tragedy (laughs) well at least a perverted take on it right right Hamlet, uh, you know, the whole to be or not to be the uh, there there's definitely these cosmist overtones and uh I guess I haven't seen the Hateful Eight. Do you have? Do you get that in there? Um, or is it just like gritty? Sorry, I missed. I was I was reading something and I missed your. You did. Yeah. You're not paying attention. Oh. I was, but I wasn't. Uh, okay, so it, in uh, Hamlet, you get the cosmist overtones, right? Right. And in um, I'm, I'm asking about the Hateful Eight. Does it have like a higher meaning, or is it just gritty Tarantino? Um, uh, I mean, it, you could you could probably not cosmic. I'd have to watch it again with that in mind, but it's, it's, it's because you know weird. Hamlet's got this whole to be or not to be, and they think that's about uh, right. That people think that's about suicide. Right. It's not. He says, "What dreams may come, right? Uh, to sleep and perchance to dream, and if we dream, what dreams may come." He's talking about crossing, uh, crossing over, but also uh, li- li- filling out his destiny, right? You could certainly. Like I said, I have to watch it again, but you have you have these different people trapped in a cabin in a snowstorm. And the only way basically no one trusts each other, no one trusts anyone, and there's money on the line because this well-known criminal has a bounty on his head. And I, if I remember right, one of the other guys it's it's sort of this like this like Cosmic. Hold on a second. I I wasn't listening. (laughs) Well done. Well well played. (laughs) Don't keep going. (laughs) I think one of of the guys there knows the bounty hunter. The bounty hunter is well known as well. I think he's played by 
oh Matt Damon or somebody. It's got a big it's got a big name cast. Um but so you've got all of these people who let's see, you got Samuel Jackson, Kurt Russell is the bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Walter Goggins, Damien Burchier. Oh, Walter Goggins is great. Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Bruce Dern, James Parks. So you've got this situation where the only way that they're all going to get out of this alive is if they're willing to work together and to put their personal vendettas and their personal uh, desires to gain wealth from this bounty so it is kind of a message movie put it all aside and it it may not have like a cosmos message but it's got a message and of course they're not able to do that (laughs) and there's also i i i don't think i'll spoil this part of it if you do go and watch it but well now i've got to watch there's people the guy who's i think there's it's all coming back to me now i think there's two people in chains like a a, oh okay anyway there's a little plot twist with that and so I'll, I'll leave it at that but um if you like westerns and you like kind of gritty westerns that's it's a good one for that it's not there's no sweeping panoramas of of the desert or the mountains it's very close up in a cabin you it i'm intrigued by that aspect of there's it there's this ongoing if I remember right, there's this ongoing gag with the front door. Anyway, go, okay. go watch it. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, let's read the soliloquy here. To, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. To die. To sleep. No more. And by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Eh, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long a life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin? Who would fartles bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than to fly to others that we know not of. Thus conscious, conscience doth make cowards of us all, and thus the naive hue of resolution is sicklied over with the pale cast of thought and enterprises of great pith and moment. With this regard, their currents turn awry and lose the name of action." He's not talking about suicide there. He's talking about fulfilling his destiny to right the wrong of his father. And in the end, by uh, his father's murder. And in the end, he does die. And he does enter the undiscovered country. You see what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. To be or not to be, that is the question. Is, will he live his destiny? And, um, and he does kind of um, contemplate the 
good possibilities of death. It's a consummation to devoutly be wished for, to sleep, to die, to end. But in that end, what dreams may come? In that sleep, what dreams may come, right? And therefore, he talks about cowardice. Am I willing to sacrifice this world for my destiny, right? This is, this is uh, Joseph Smith's Lectures on Faith 6, the idea that you have to be willing to sacrifice all earthly things. And, uh, and he's contemplating that right there, and he's, and he's contemplating what's going to happen in death, you know? And, and he talks about the, uh, the scorns of time, all of, the, all of the things, all the problems we have here, but what may come, it's the undiscovered country, you know? You, you see what I'm saying here? So... Uh, Hamlet, of course, is is uh, one of the all-time greats that is is quickly being forgotten in this day and age as we move away from the classical liberal society that made made us made the Western world so prolific. We're, we're and moving great. away from the classics, the the classic books of uh, you know the novels, the great books, yeah, the, 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 that the great works of the philosophers, the plays, the music. All of the understanding of the metaphors, the understanding of the you know the, the the discussion of the meaning of life, and it's so ridiculous that the pretense for getting rid of this stuff is racism, like, uh, or, a, or a or a or a or a or a or a virus, right? But I'm saying that they're canceling these guys because they were oh yeah yeah racist. Well, they let, probably you know, had a virus too. Even even even. <laughs> they were probably had the coronavirus when hey, they died. I saw out there in the wild, they weren't referring to us, but I saw the phrase mind virus pull and I quickly said, Hey, I've heard that phrase before and I yeah. linked I linked to our website. <laughs> but the this you know, um To Kill a Mockingbird is being you know, it was on the canceled canceled schedule. Oh Tom uh Tom Sawyer Huck Finn. Yeah. Those are they rank with the all time greats. If you want to have a picture into the American frontier Mark Twain, come on. Yeah, and he's getting canceled, and those are getting canceled because he uses the N-word. In the, but it's all about the... That's the way they the, spoke. It's the way they spoke, but it's also the context of it. Is, it's not derogatory. It's just the way they spoke. To Kill a Mockingbird, though, is getting canceled, and its message is that we should judge people... Atticus defends them. Right. We should judge people based on their actions and their character and not on the color of their skin. They try to unlawfully convict a black man, and Atticus defends him. Is it Gregory Peck that plays him in the great yeah. uh, movie? We I think it one. is. Black and white. To Kill a, to kill a Mockingbird is like... Excellent on the, on a very we high spent, level. We spent weeks on it in, I don't know, elementary or junior high, probably junior high. We read the book, and then we had to write about it, and then we watched the movie. The movie was kind of our reward for doing this. We got to yeah, see, yeah, yeah. They the, used to do that to us. Huh? They, right. We'd have to watch the. We'd have to do everything, and then we get to watch the movie. But I didn't mind it because it was a good story. It's a good story. It's excellent. It's excellent. I was thinking. I, I was. You know, the culture at the risk of sounding like an old curmudgeon, but you know, we've talked about music recently and the the music that's being pushed on the youth nowadays is really not great music, but the culture around that music is ridiculous. It's a lot of scantily clad black women for the most part 
twerking, grinding, all these other terms. It's really kind of sad to watch this because at the same time, we're being told that you're not supposed to think of women like that, but that's the message that this culture is jamming down their throats. If you look at Apple Music, again, I'll, I'll use Apple Music as an example, that the top hits are all these things like, you know, these 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 female rappers or hip-hop artists who are basically... It's basically stripping. sex. Yeah, it's... Soft it's porn. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. And it, that's not new, but it seems like it's being amplified and accelerated. Well, certainly media has reached a point of diffusion where there there are there are these uh traditional um monopolistic elements that are are grasping for relevance and pushing a certain um certain ideas and certain content on the public, but there's so much to choose from out there like you know, when we were kids, you know, you had at least when I was growing up, it was essentially PBS and like after school cartoons. It was mm-hmm. it was PBS and then it was f- like you, you could pick Sesame Street if you wanted, but you didn't ever pick that. You'd pick Channel 13 or Channel 20. I can't remember what it was, but that was uh, Fox. It was where all the cartoons were. Yeah. And then yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. you had to wait till they came on. Like you had to wait for DuckTales to come on. You had to right. wait for G.I. Joe to come on. You had to hurry home from school or you'd miss DuckTales. Yeah. You know, and... <laughs> DuckTales, ooh, is like a hurricane. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, These things stick with you. Yeah, they stick with you. But but we all know that because that was the only thing. Like you you could catch some of it in the morning if you got up early enough. And then there was, of course, Saturday morning cartoons. Remember Saturday morning cartoons? I'd get Absolutely. up early on Saturday to watch Saturday morning cartoons. And that was on all the channels. Right. Saturday was like a, a cornucopia of entertainment because you could pick from different channels if you if you came home and you watched the main networks like cbs nbc and abc you can't you come home from uh school and you turn on one of those networks and you get something like mash or a soap opera and so you'd have to go to to fox i inadvertently or or just i ended up watching a lot of mash yeah mash was good not understanding any of it but that was that's a pretty profound uh ahead of its time yeah television show commentary uh but anyway, like you, you, you had to wait until it came on the network, right? And you, we would watch tons of television for sure. Gilligan's Island reruns, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies reruns, yeah. Leave It to Beaver, yeah, stuff My like Three that. Sons, yeah, stuff Mr. like that, Ed. for sure. But uh, so we wa- definitely watched a lot of uh, a lot of what was on. But if if you put yourself in the shoes of your kids today, they turn on Netflix or Amazon, and they have a diffuse, massive like tidal wave of possibilities up on the screen that they can look at right on demand anyway get, getting back to the the um getting back to the topic here and maybe this is a good place to end do we have a topic well it was listener comments there were some other listener comments like Pepe Le Pew posted on uh on our last there were a couple of comments on our last um on our last post on our on our website. Let's see if I can, if I can pull that up about the internet shutdown. Yeah. The internet shut down. Somebody, first of all, let's give a shout out to, um, Steph. She says, hello, I'm leaving my comment that I do not in fact sound like that. Jordan. Yeah. I read that and it took me a second. Let me, let me read that. Let me read that in Stephanie's voice. Uh, hello, 
I'm leaving my comment that I do not, in fact, sound like that, Jordan. <laughs> okay, Steph. Yeah, it took me a second to figure out what she was talking about. Then I remembered yeah, your voice. Maybe, <laughs> no, that, that's her voice. But I, I'm, I think she's saying she doesn't sound like this. <clears throat> Hello. I'm leaving my comment that I do not, in fact, sound like that, Jordan. Sparkly diamonds. Sparkly diamonds. I think that's what she was trying to get away from. I think she sounds more like, Hello. I'm leaving my comment that I do not, in fact, sound like that, Jordan. I don't know. Stephanie, maybe you should come on the show. Or Steph. Maybe maybe it's not even this listener maybe trying to protect. This might be an it alter ego. It might be ego. a Stephan. It might be a male. It might be a man. You know, it's a possibility. Be, what if it's Steph Curry? Steph, could you please post your uh, pronouns? You don't have to do please that. Please don't. You don't have to please do that. Please don't do that. Pepe Le Pew, he... Pepe Le Pew's being canceled. Yeah, and uh, I think that's why... I know who this guy is, Pepe Le Pew. And I think that's why he uses the name Pepe Le Pew, because it's being canceled, and we've talked about that sort of thing. He says, you verily scratched the surface on this episode. What's up with that? What's, I, he, what's he talking about? I think what's he's he right, because we didn't really get deeply into the uh, internet cancel or the shutdown stuff. I, the I think, possibilities of being shut down. What do you think he wants to know about? I don't know, but I, I think a post-internet shutdown world would be really interesting to speculate about. Here's a, here's a related comment from uh, the guy we've labeled Edmund Devere, mm-hmm. the one that is uh, corrects us on all of our uh, pronunciation and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll he he gave me some feedback on uh, Solzhenitsyn. Did I send that to you? Yeah, you yeah. did. We, okay, so we'll ha- we'll, I'll read that in just a second. But here's his comment from last week. He says. A few minutes ago, I finished listening to last week's podcast. Incidentally, I watched Waterworld in the past couple of weeks. It came up. It came out during my mission. I hadn't seen it, though it was on my list. Your dialogue in a prior episode was the impetus for me to watch it. I enjoy apocalyptic movies. This one was a bit cheesy. My single word summary, apocalyptic. <laughs> I think I pronounced that right. Nice. <laughs> and nice. then I, I wrote back Mad Max on, on water. But he said this about um, Solzhenitsyn. Oh, he reminds us that Marvin Gaye is probably, besides being black, the, the song What's Going On on the album, the ep- eponymous song, is about police brutality. And so I, I think they just were reaching for somebody to replace four white guys with on that Rolling Stones um, Best of, or top 500 albums. Best of. He says, uh, Solson Easton's name. You were correct with the stress on this. You were closest with the stress on the correct syllable, which is more critical in Russian than English. Solson Easton is pronounced Solson Eatson, with the eats being the stress syllable. And here's a couple of clarifications. The zen or the zh sound is like the S in treasure, not a common sound in English, but easily pronounceable, pronunciable. <laughs> if <laughs> and you probably encountered it often enough in French, it's it's like a Y in French. I think what he means is it's like um, uh, the U. It's uh, U U U. So it's Solsunistan. I think that's what he's trying to say. Uh, Edmund, you can uh, come back and correct me on that, but the the U sound is um, it's just not something we regularly do. So we just we would say solzun instead of zun zun un un. I don't know if I'm doing that right. I'm just gonna call it that book that the guy from Russia wrote about the gulags. 
Well, and he also said archipelago, uh, it's the third syllable. So archipelago, that's stressed, not the fourth. And um, anyway, thank you for your, well, I appreciate the comments. I think this is good to get some, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post on the, the blog or on the, the website page that we answered, we, 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 we replied in the podcast. <laughs> so you have to listen to our next podcast. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I'm drinking Arrowhead water. Uh, we, we receive a small, um, full disclosure, we, we receive a small uh, commission every time you buy a case of Arrowhead water from Wait, Costco. We do? I do. You do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tr- you remember Truman's slow, it's, it's show? She's yeah. like, I got this new thing at the checkout counter. <laughs> We it talked about that, right? It dices. <laughs> I'm gonna. What do you think? I'm gonna slice you and dice you with it. <laughs> Isn't it time for a new lawnmower, Truman? <laughs> That's what she says when she's like about ready to have a nervous breakdown. Right. right? She says we should get a new lawnmower. She just defaults to what they're telling her in her ear or what she's always done, and just I, doing I don't know what a to product, do. product Here's placement. Product placement. The one criticism I have about the Truman Show, and I don't remember if I mentioned this, is that I don't think that I think they could have explored it even deeper. I think the movie could have been an hour longer, and nobody would have noticed. Nobody would have felt like it was too long. But so great, your great criticism movie. was it wasn't long enough. Well, I think they could have. I think they could have had more. Um, maybe maybe a few more minutes at the beginning of the film, kind of showing the humdrum of his life. I mean, we get the we get the light falling from the sky like immediately. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if it was longer, there was some, not controversy, that's not the right word, but there was some conflict about the film, I think in the production. And I don't think anybody thought it was going to do well. I don't think they liked, I think, you know, everybody at the time was like, Jim Carrey can't pull this off. He's a slapstick guy. And so it's possible they said, we'll do it, but you got to cut out uh, 40 minutes or something. So it was kind of like they lacked the confidence to, to go all the way with it. Probably, maybe. Well, that, that happens in, in promotion. Like I mentioned with the Pet Sounds um, album, Brian Wilson, 1965, revolutionary, but they, they didn't want to promote it. They didn't want to spend the money promoting it. That... You got you got to think about this. How how certain things come to our minds? We're talking about how there's a vast uh, internet of things out there on the internet that we don't we're not even aware of even existing. And some of it may be the, some of the finest works ever created by humankind. But because they're not being promoted, because there's not a lot of big money behind it, we're not. Um, yeah, going back to the blogs. I mean, there's been bloggers who have written books that have become mainstream. <clears throat> the self-publishing phenomenon is is pretty interesting. There's been uh, a few self-published novels that have picked up steam. I mean, one of the one of the big examples is Ready Player One. That was a self-published novel written by just some no-namer. Hmm. It got very popular, popular enough that eventually it became a Steven Spielberg-produced film. Mm-hmm. And I think the book. The book is okay. It's very uh it's, it's very esoteric. You have to know a lot about 1980s pop culture to get the references and I haven't read the sequel but the, the esoteric movie esoteric in a pop culture way. The movie version I think was actually more relatable cuz they made the pop cultural references maybe not as um 
nerdy, not as obscure. But uh, um, but anyway, there's there's a lot of success stories of of self published authors. Um, did you know I did I tell you about having that idea twenty years ago about doing a I was going to call the book the suit. And the idea was that they would build whole cities out of these virtual reality pods where people would get into a suit and enter a virtual reality. And then they would like to, they, they preferred that over reality. So they would live in the virtual reality. And then there was this, there was this reality versus virtual reality um, interplay and events in the virtual reality affect the real world. And that comes out in Ready Player One. There was also mm-hmm. another movie called Surrogates uh, with mm-hmm. Bruce Willis. And I think we might've mentioned before where, People uh, don't go out of their homes, but they use a, a like a an automaton a robot uh, to interact for them in the in the virtual or in the real world. Uh, and I think there there's some other I've I've run across some other movies about that, but uh, I think well, I could have written a pretty good book on it. I just well, never have followed so through with my the last year or so. My inspiration an, an interesting kind of lurch in that direction where you have so many people who are not leaving their homes and they're they're able to work online or virtually yeah and i'm seeing i'm seeing a push from from some people saying this is the way like they don't want to leave their homes they, they, they they're lazy about it it's too convenient to just hit a button on their app and food shows up not realizing that there's people behind these apps and these deliveries and all of this. It's fine if the, the dirty lower class can put their lives at risk and bring me my Chick-fil-A, but yeah. Oh. But it's just an interesting uh progression in that. I think that we will probably get to a point in the next decade or so where there is that conflict between virtual and real and people who go out into the real world will be seen as you know, dissidents and rebels. That's a and, possibility if we don't just descend into total chaos. Well, I mean, well, there's that too. That that that, that which I see as a is, higher probability. That's as a probability, not a possibility. I'm, maybe in the post uh, post apocalypse, the, the post apocalypse when we own nothing and we'll be happy. What we will own is our virtual goggles and our I say, suits. Lord, come quickly. Uh, <laughs> the day is coming that shall burn as an oven. They that are coming shall burn them up and leave them neither root nor branch. That is a comforting statement in a lot of ways. Like it's devolving rapidly, but, uh, but Hey, anyway, this is a positive, happy conversation today. We're going to have a positive apocalypse, a positive. We've already, we can't title this episode a positive apocalypse because that was a prior episode, which was a fun episode. What did, uh, what did our reader say? Our listener? Apocalicious. Apocalicious. Maybe that's the title today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well or listener comments um apocalypticious sounds pretty good i wonder if that domain is available hold on a second it sounds like it would be a song by george clinton do you know george clinton not personally <laughs> do you know of george clinton I, I don't know of george clinton what kind of genre does he do he was like a 70s funk kind of a predecessor to hip-hop and rap a lot of his, he has a song called Atomic Dog that Snoop Dogg just basically took and turned into, you know, a Snoop Dogg song. But he uh, he, he had a band called uh, the P-Funk All-Stars, um, really influential guy for the kind of hip hop rap. But 
it was back in the day when you still had to know how to sing and play instruments and so he black yeah and so, so he's, he's related to bill clinton then he might be bill clinton was the first black president that's true and he was also a musician that's bill, true bill too clinton, so yeah because he played on arsenio hall who's also black but uh yeah george george clinton had some fun some fun stuff. We'll link to some of his, or uh, not. He also had a band called Parliament, and I think that's where maybe most people heard of him. Um, Apocalicious dot com is taken. It was registered in twenty twenty. I wonder if Edmund registered that after he sent me that text. That's a good domain name. Apocalicious dot com. <laughs> no one knows how to spell it. <laughs> well, that's not the point. It's apocalyptic. It is. It is. Yeah, I, that's a downer. What, I love downer? snagging domain names. I, I love uh, thinking about all the fun things you could do with a domain name, and then just sitting on them and never doing anything. I've done that. I have a few that I own, and then I don't cancel before they renew. <laughs> it's like it's a great idea, and then then you hang on to it. You got to turn your mic. We'll link to this. Don't worry. This is George Clinton. I have never heard this. Well, you get the idea. I'm I'm entranced. I'm uh, zoning out into a whole new universe here with the atomic dog concept. Some of you guys might recognize that tune that Snoop Dogg um, sampled, or I'm not gonna say he stole it. He probably did it with permission. But Snoop Dogg turned uh, one of his one of his big hits was basically a redoing of hmm. this song. But uh, anyway, that's George Clinton. Yeah. Well, hey, we've been all over the map. We're, today. we're all over the map today. I'm gonna I'm gonna close out. Here's my final thought. Um, I believe in being honest, true, chaste, and benevolent, virtuous, and in doing good to all men. At least I hope I try to do that. And following the admonition of Paul, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring many things, and hope to be able to endure all things, and most importantly relative to our discussion. If there's anything virtuous, lovely, of good report, or praiseworthy, to seek after these things. Of course, I'm quoting Joseph Smith from the Wentworth letter from the 13th article of faith. What happened to seeking after what is virtuous and lovely and of good report and praiseworthy? I know you're not listening anymore. You're just I'm, kind I'm of listening. Gro- grooving with, with uh, the, I'm listening. the music. I was, but, uh, I was thinking... But what happened to that? Where is that in our society? Well, I was thinking if... Because I, I agree with you, and then I remember that we talked about the hateful eight, and does that count as virtuous, virtuous and lovely. lovely of a good report? Well, but, it, it doesn't mean we don't experience the world here and, and, and no, see I, things like that. I but. think I think a big 
big problem right now is that the things that generally and for for generations have been considered virtuous, lovely, of good report, are not just being sought after, but are being hidden. And we're being told not to pursue after those things. We're being told to simply trust authority. Don't think for yourself. Don't seek truth for yourself. We will tell you what is true and what is right and what is virtuous and what is lovely. And you just go along with us and put your mask on, get your vaccine, and watch CNN and be good little global citizens and don't go down those rabbit holes. Yeah, there's been a shift in the last five years for sure. And it's and it's in it's everywhere. It was like a maybe maybe it's post 2012. Maybe it's at the change of the age. I'm not sure exactly when this happens. But there's been a definite shift in media, perhaps works like Harry Potter. And, and, and maybe it's Avengers was part of that shift. But because uh, they, they, from 2008 to, to last year, they or the year before, they had been putting they put out 23 movies that that were reworking the story of the cosmos. And maybe Harry Potter is one of the last great virtuous, praiseworthy works that I mean, as a fiction I mean, and and mainstream, you know. I would plug Stormlight Archive. In okay, because that that is that more recent. I, yeah, I, it's I know ongoing. So I'm going to say one of the last great praiseworthy mainstream works because we're, well, he's I don't pretty think mainstream. Gonna, he's not Harry Potter mainstream, but he's 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 got a lot he's of. He's a very popular, successful author. Okay, Brandon well, I Sanderson. think he, I think there'll be people that do it, but that that that, that make it big. But are, are we going to be able to see something as phenomenal as the Harry Potter craze? Right. right. Uh, will that will that even be allowed because it's a white boy from England or something? I think um, who's not wearing a mask. There is good stuff out there. It's a matter of finding it. Like it's going to be harder about. to find. Um, there's. I know we're wrapping up the Stormlight Archive. We don't have to wrap up. We could go on for another hour if you want. I'm no. We probably should. Wrap I'm just it up. saying. I mean, Google. People, our, our analytics say that people tune out after the first three and a half minutes anyway. Do they? No, I don't know. I made, <laughs> I made that up. I hope I not. That up. <laughs> well, then, if you're listening, <laughs> you won't mind if we wander on a little further. The Stormlight Archive is an interesting story. It's it's complex. It's got a great world building, great magic systems. Again, if you're into all that kind of stuff, but it's also, I think there's a cool dynamic at play. Again, I don't know if Sanderson is designing it this way, but there's a really fun, interesting dynamic about our relationship with divine. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the gods in his universe are different than, say, we think of it in our world, but in some cases or in some ways, it's it's m- more like our world. There's some really cool and intriguing fan, div- fan art on the right. web if you and look this divinity, up. There's divinity. There's th- this divinity that exists within all of us. We're all children of God. Mm-hmm. And in the Stormlight Archive, there's these little pieces of, of God or gods mm-hmm. that people can connect with. And again, I don't want to go into too much uh, uh, in the spoiler territory, Um it's an investment if you're going to get into these books. They're thick books, and, and but they're really, really well done. And uh, his whole library, he's a very prolific author. He has something called the Cosmere, which he writes a whole bunch of different books within the same universe. And I'm hoping that at some point he sort of brings it all together in, in an Avengers Infinity War kind of situation where you get all of these different characters uniting to overcome the the mega you know, evil or, the mega or bad en- guy. enemy, but, um, 
So I'm see, I've, but, I've got some really cool pictures. Here's a great picture of or a painting of. Uh, that's Kaladin. Cal- that's Kaladin and, and Sil. And Sil, and and, and she. We'll link to that. You have this uh, divine wisdom imagery right there. The the man, the warrior, and the woman wisdom figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of cool. I'm going to link to that on the. Post. Maybe we can get Brandon on our show sometime. If you That'd know somebody cool. who knows somebody who knows somebody, that'd be cool. Let us know. We'd love to have him on. I heard a I heard a story. This is folklore. This is local folklore. Okay, I heard a story because Brandon Sanderson lives in the area, lives in the state of Utah, and I heard a story that he would go down to the local Costco near his home. I don't actually know where he lives. I don't know what city he lives in, but I know it's somewhere along here in the greater Salt Lake area. He would go to a local Costco and find his books on the shelves there on the tables in Costco, and he would sign a bunch of them just <laughs> randomly, and then he would leave. <laughs> so if you, <laughs> that's again, cool. I don't know if it's real. I wonder or not. how Costco felt about that. And I have no idea if if somebody bought one of those, how they would have any way of you know authenticating that it was really him that did that, but. And I have no way of knowing. Can if you that imagine, story like, is the true. manager running up against the guy, like, like, sir, sir, sir what are you doing? Where, you, where's your mask? <laughs> no, for, that's you? what they would say right now. <laughs> but they would say, they would say, you can't. What are you? You're vandalizing these books, and he's, and he'd have to, like, that'd be funny because he'd say, well, I'm the author, and they'd say, prove it. <laughs> well, his pictures in the book, and he, and and Brandon Sanderson is is is, he's a distinct looking person. Oh, okay. He kind of has this disheveled look about him, and he, mm-hmm. and at least in his his BYU lectures, he has a superhero or some related T-shirt underneath a blazer, <laughs> you know, kind of saying, <laughs> "Okay, BYU, I'll play the game, but I'm still just a I'm still just a science fiction fantasy writer who's yeah. just a kid at heart." But, yeah. um, really good writer, really good storyteller. There's another local guy named Brandon Mole, who's written Fablehaven. The, Fablehaven series. I think the Fablehaven series is it's not super um complex or deep, but it's a nice sort of good versus evil story. Yeah, it's it's, it's very it's, juvenile. It's written for third it, graders. Yeah, it's it's very low uh elementary in and I don't I don't find a lot of archetypal um No, there's not symbolism in I mean there are there's archetypal symbolism, but there's no but the story for, arc, the story arc isn't uh, for for a third grader. I think it's 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 fun. exciting and, and it's, it's a fun good. book. It's a fun book. It's good. Or I'm series. Not, I'm not trying series. to rip on it. I'm just saying there's a difference between uh, Harry Potter and Fablehaven. Definitely, but it's interesting that BYU particularly has p- produced some commercially successful authors. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to take credit for the author of. Uh, uh, I can't even remember now. Twilight. Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, but sexy, sexy vampire. She's made a lot of money. Stuff. Yeah. Hmm. I think we were talking vampires. about that. I was talking about that with some friends, and I think she. Uh, I hope I'm not misquoting. There's a lot of things swimming around in my head. Um, but I think she attributes a lot of her uh, creativity to the muse or a muse right. or something like that. Well, I wouldn't want to take or to credit. Or inter- to inspiration. I wouldn't want to you, take you credit take for credit that for either. <laughs> oh, I'm just... Have I'm you just... read it? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, so I guess I shouldn't Have you watched comment. the movies? I've seen bits and pieces of the movies. I haven't seen the movies. Like most 
like most local ladies, my family members were were taken, taken in. in, and my wife, who uh, has an English background, and she was like, "Eh, it's crap," but it, <laughs> it was fun, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> she said the same thing about Hunger She's Games. A critic. Like, like a fun story, but not not great books. But huh. you know, to each his own. Yeah, I, and listen, I think there's a place for what we would call popcorn, popcorn movies and popcorn literature. There's a place for that. Nothing, sure, not everything not? has to be Lord of the Rings or Sirius, even Harry Potter. Right. Yeah. There's a place for, you know, they used to call them, you know, dime novels. I have a collection uh, of old Western short stories and uh, I'm, we'll link to it. I cannot remember the name of the author off the top of my head, but they're they're great. And they're just little... They're they're literally they're the old dime stories that you would buy in the old days. Okay, um, so uh, since we're gonna link to it, what was one of the titles or one of the I stories? Can't, I can't remember. Okay, so I'm just gonna have to like. I'll send you. I'll send you'll you. You'll have, have link. to remind you, or you'll send me right. a link, but, and, and then we'll know kinda, what you're talking about. But the the whole genre of the old kind of uh, uh, this these were really popular with western stories, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Louis L'Amour is sort of a a, a product of that. He he wrote a bunch. He cranked out a ton of these Western novels. Right. It's not it's not required that we we sit here and be so serious about everything. Like it's not. I think the scriptural analog to that is it's not required that a man run faster than he has strength. Right. And so a little entertainment here in this world is great. Um, you get we've talked about it before. I think the sac- you get the sacred versus the profane. And the issue in the modern world is we don't know when we're dealing with sacred and we don't know when we're dealing with the profane. Everything's profane, and we add a third category in the modern world, which is inversion or blasphemy or whatever you want to call it. It's it's a direct attack on the on the real story of the cosmos, and so we have to we kind of kind of have to throw that in. Well, that's where the profane is professed to be the sacred in this inverted. Yeah, there you go. So that's when you take the profane and try to make it sacred and, and invert the, the story of the cosmos. And that, that has happened throughout history. Like, for example, Greek mythology has a lot of inversions in it uh, where you see Zeus running amok, acting like, you know, Bill Clinton. And uh, <laughs> since we brought... Zeus uh, played the since saxophone? We, since we brought the Clintons into this earlier... George and Bill. Well, and Chelsea. We mentioned Chelsea, didn't we? Did we mention Chelsea? The only we, one we were, were we talking about that before we started? Because oh, I don't we think did. we mentioned we the Vatican conference. Now that you mentioned Chelsea Clinton, you got to mention the Vatican. Well, conference. there's a Vatican conference with a bunch of clowns that are going to get together and confer about the new world order and the vaccines and big pharma and all the ways that our lives need to be controlled. And they're, they're, they're publicizing this to make a big deal out of it. Like you should be paying attention to it. And she, Chelsea Clinton is going to be a speaker. I don't know what her qualifications are other than being the daughter of Bill and the only only Clinton we haven't mentioned yet, right. Hillary Clinton. Right, and and she's very ignorable, except the fact that they keep putting her out there, and right. then you have to reckon with, well, why why are they foisting Chelsea Clinton upon the she world? She had some letters after her name in the list of speakers. I think one of I don't remember what they were. They were honorary degrees. I have no idea. I don't. Even, I don't know. I don't. Maybe she's got a degree. I'm sure she'll get a degree, but. Like there is no, what is the redeemable content there? What's the or redeeming content? Where is the, where is the virtuous, lovely of good report or praiseworthy? I, I just don't see it well, in it's that. Interesting too. In that, that this is, context, this is called the Vatican Conference. This is not the first year they've done it, but it's it's generally you know traditionally they've done it at the Vatican. Now it's done virtually, 
you know, wearing a suit and goggles and a mask like our friend Spencer Cox. Spencer Cox. Um, and interestingly enough, Utah will have some representatives there, and I'll let you go research that. But there's most of the speakers, most of the hundred plus speakers are secular. There are a lot of medical doctors, there's a lot of CEO types and think tank types. There's only a few, and they do have a, a panel called Bridging Science and Religion, as if those two need any bridging. That you know, that those are two sides of the same coin. There's no gap. It's only there's only a gap when you throw orthodoxy into the mix, right? And so there's some on both sides. Let me put that out for sure. Orthodoxy on the religion side and orthodoxy on the science side, because we're seeing that right now in the world. You've got this scientific orthodoxy that is just turning upside down, wrecking, destroying any chance we have of real science by censoring and and canceling people out of the discussion and focusing on. Well, and the list of speakers Profit. for this are, you're not getting the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration. Mm-mm. You're getting the, the what I call the TV doctors, literally TV doctors, like Dr. Oz is invited as a speaker. Um, Fauci. Fauci will be there. Dr. Anthony Frodsky. Frodsky. He'll be there. Um, Deepak Chupra, Chopra will be there. Um, these are all just people who, who are bureaucrats who uh, play doctors on Twitter and on TV. St- Scott Gottlieb will be there. He's, he's one who is, you know, all over Twitter preaching doom and gloom. It's a who's who of the team apocalypse, it's the, the team, team, it's, team shutdown. It's the team apocalypse and the oligarchy getting together to talk about, well, you know, they're going to talk about ways that religion, they can use religion and churches to make us behave. And this is not new. This is There's been conferences and things like this recently, especially when it comes to the vaccine, of how we can, you know, in the, in the words of our own state propagandists here in Utah, they said, we will lean on local faith-based groups to encourage people to take the vaccine. They will lean on them. You know who else leans on people to make them do things? Mobsters. <laughs> this is a nice church you got here. It'd be a be shame, shame if anything would happen to it. I'd to light on fire or have the windows broken Or sorry, out. not church. Nice faith-based group you got here. <laughs> so anyway, the, 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 and I by, think, so the, by the way, these go ahead, finish your thought. Well, I just think these things are, you know, the conferences themselves, I've tried to listen to some of these in the past, and, and, and they're, they're so boring and dumb and stupid. But there's little nuggets here and there. The important part is that there are people getting together who believe that they are acting uh, righteously and and looking for ways to control your life. I mean, that's really right. the the bottom line. They're lo- the WEF, the UN, and all these little splinter groups, which this one is, this Vatican conference is. They're a group of self-proclaimed elites who get together and say. The others out there, the dirty eaters, aren't behaving the way we think they should behave in order to create an equal and sustainable and, you know, healthy world. We got to make them do what we say. Yeah. And translation is essentially we're not getting our way. How do we uh, put this in sugary, flowery terms so that we can foist it on everybody? 
uh, I'm going to link to an article too in conjunction with this because, and, and our listeners know this, but uh, Zero Hedge had a good article. Um, let's see if they're reposting somebody else's stuff. Yeah, Will Jones. Uh, so they're they're reposting this article by Will Jones that shows that he, the headline is, if lockdowns are needed, why did more people die in states that are locked down that, than those that didn't? And they show this great graph where they they have a ranking of the per capita deaths. So this is an adjusted per population, per capita deaths per million in the U.S. states up to April 16th of 2021. And it shows which states locked down or had a stay-at-home order during the winter and which states didn't. And there's no correlation. In fact, the the most dominant places where um, we have higher deaths are uh, states that did lock down. And uh, the ones that didn't lock down are kind of scattered throughout. By the way, since we have a lot of listeners in Utah, Utah was the sixth lowest per capita death per in the entire in the entire union and it's a absurdity beyond belief and we you know we were we were hardly following the covid guidelines at all we're, we're, only when we had to only when the church and costco well, started virtue signaling the to utah us utah timeline is really curious and it started to get some we had no spike it last started April. to get some uh, some attention here recently on some of the you know team reality on on twitter but yeah, yeah, we had no no initial spike, which by the way, most of the West didn't have that initial spring spike. Uh, we a lot of it took a, place in New York right. and in the Northeast, which is experiencing right now another spike because this is their seasonal spike right. season. <laughs> but look, our spike started right after we started masking. Well, that's what's crazy. You, you had Salt Lake County, I think, in June instigated a, a mask order which going into summer months is just ridiculous absurdity but our our re- rise in cases our positive test results i should say did didn't happen until september like late september and i think there's a couple of things you can you can attribute that to one you're going into the fall and you're going into our normal seasonal illness mm-hmm. season but Plus I think they amped it, up the rhetoric and it, the, forced it, masks it, and all that it, stuff. It coincides with a ramping up of propaganda and this idea that the hospitals in Utah were going to be overwhelmed. If there's a, it was know, almost like again, people were dying my, to get in there. Hold on, hold on. Let me yeah. Let me get my. <laughs> let me get my. Sorry, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on right now. Okay. I'll quit interrupting. It's my theory that or it's, and I think it'd be worth investigating what else happened during that time period. Did the PCR values of the, or the, did the CT values, the cycle threshold change on the PCR tests we were using? It wasn't just that our cases rose or a positive test results. I have to keep correcting myself because a positive test and a case are medically different, but those yeah. have been conflated. But nobody knows the reality of the technical jargon anymore. But what I'm curious about is during that time, did the cycle threshold change on the PCR test? Because our positivity percentage skyrocketed. It went from like all summer long being between about seven and 10% to being over 25 to 30%, almost instantly. Right. And they won't publish Utah and other, they've never, many other states. They've never published Florida, Florida passed a law, but. So Nobody will publish this I'm data. I'm curious to know if they changed it to 
doctor those tests or if they change the criteria on what constitutes a positive test result. The other thing that they did ramp up testing during that time because they started requiring high school kids to be tested. It's also in that time frame that Deborah Burks came and visited the state. And then post, post her visit, the rhetoric was and the propaganda was amplified. By the time we got into October and November, we were there was there were executive orders telling us to stay home, not to visit friends and family. They tried to cancel Thanksgiving. Yeah, you had the statewide mask. The mandate. legislature kind of backed the governor off. Of you that. had the governor saying things like the virus will use our love for one another to spread. You had him saying things like our bad behavior is responsible for this, and saying things like young people aren't taking this seriously enough. Yeah, I mean, well, you really, a lot is... of despicable, shameful rhetoric coming from our so-called this was this was not Spencer Cox this was his predecessor Gary, Gary Herbert, Herbert who retired and didn't run for re-election i think he wishes he would have retired a year earlier but he was so weak on this so weak. he you know in the beginning i thought okay utah's not doing these hard lockdowns now we still did a lot of closures and a lot of you know well, we, we, let, we bought we let, in hard we, we let these big multinational the companies we let the multinational companies jerk us around just right, like they did everywhere right. else and there was still a lot it's of cartel like a behavior. lot of damage was done in this state to small businesses independent restaurants and retail stores while the big businesses thrived they could, that's undeniable undeniable so my tinfoil hat theory is that sometime in the fall the case numbers were juiced in order to collect more CARES funds because I think the local hospital cartel, and I use that word deliberately because that's what they are, they have a near monopoly, was having to lay people off. They were financially, they were struggling and said, we need CARES money because we're going to go under or we're, we're not making the millions that we like to make. We need CARES money. We need to, we need to boost our numbers and scare people and make people get tested with these super sensitive tests. We need to get kids in to testing. And this was in the fall, they weren't doing the rapid antigen test as much. It was still the thing up into your brain, PCR test. And so you even had hospital executives going on in the government, on the governor's press conferences saying, we're on the verge of collapse. We're going to collapse. You've got to stay home. You've got to get tested. We're on the verge of collapse. And of course, the HHS- stuff all the people in the same the, hospital. The publicly available HHS data showed that the hospitals in Utah were never on the verge of collapse, not collectively, not individually. They were, they were right in line with previous years. They had plenty- Seasonal norms. They had plenty of capacity. So they were begging for CARES money. And you can look at you can look up the CARES Act money and see where it goes. And, and these, you know, little, little teeny chiropractor offices were getting CARES money. Everybody's trying to get CARES money. What about the PPP loans? Right. I mean, and the, the thing and they, is, though, that this CARES money is, is no strings attached. There's no, you don't have to pay it back. It's just, here's some money. Well, same so with the loans. Dentist office were getting it. Uh, chiropractors, little family practitioners, as well as big giant hospitals like our local mm -hmm. cartel. Yeah, so the medical establishment's making, making bank in two different ways because they're also taking out PPP loans to protect their payroll. And those are... If you if you use it for payroll, which is the main stipulation, then you don't have to pay it back. Right. And then the second layer of my tinfoil hat 
theory is that the state didn't feel like they, enough people were getting tested. So they ramped up the testing rhetoric because yeah. there's financial incentive, incentive for to, find to, case, to find positive results, positive well, test and results. And just to administer tests. The, oh, the yeah. state was spending millions on these tests. And that's a whole other... Well, and they're it, getting all this federal money that's telling them to, to use, right. use this for COVID propaganda. And that's a whole other uh, investigation is these testing producers the companies the labs that create the tests are are making well obscene amounts of money on this crappy test that is not designed to it's not necessarily crappy it's just being used for the wrong purposes the pcr process is not crappy but this is a crappy application Application of it of that even according to the to the guy that invented it but who mysteriously died right before the pandemic. Okay, but but let me just point out there are plenty of medical professionals, doctors, scientists, etc. that predicted that they would jerk us around by the tests. I'm just adding to your your tinfoil hat thing here, which is totally reality. Um they predicted that they were going to be able to by the cycle threshold jerk us around and then that by the timing of the introduction of the vaccine and the seasonality of it and the reduction in the cycle thresholds which all coincided they could make the vaccine look like it was working and that we're winning against coronavirus, right. but then they'll, they'll be able to bring it back because now everybody's believing them. They, they can bring it back and, um, and they can jerk us around again next year. Yeah. As long as PCR testing is being used for this stuff, they can almost, almost on a, on, on a dime control they can turn society because of the, of the cycle. Because we've caved, we've caved to the, uh, the idea that it's okay for them to do that this to us. That's I've where been, we need to re- this, what we I, need to reject. I've been harping for, for a long time that the test is the pandemic. Don't go get tested. Stop getting tested. And then this all goes this away. This all goes away, yeah. Um, another interesting, you know, I've got now three tinfoil hats on, but the Rockefeller Foundation, and, and we're not allowed to say that name, right? The Gettys, the Rothschilds. Right. And Colonel Sanders, before he went teats up, oh, I hated the colonel <laughs> with his wee beady eyes. The Rockefeller Foundation, <laughs> the Rockefeller Foundation funded something called the Interstate Testing Exchange. And Utah was one of the first states to uh, latch on to that. And what we don't know is how much money the state took. We don't know what strings were attached. What'd you call it? The inter- interstate testing, testing exchange. exchange. And it used to be when you Googled that, the first result would be uh, the Rockefeller Foundation website where they said that we need 30 bajillion tests every five minutes or something. I don't know if that's still the case, but there was also some press articles, you know, Gary Herbert saying, we're very happy to be a part of this, but they never went into any details. And the press, the local press here never asked about what it is what what is this where does this money come from how much money and what does it have to be used for and what strings are attached because you know there's strings attached so all in all you have this situation where nothing nothing can be accepted at face value with the with the testing and i'm just even just talking about right here in utah there's perverse incentives there's money being exchanged that we don't know anything about there's cycle thresholds, which are the root cause or the root of all of this that aren't ever being discussed. Uh, and money that's coming from the government that's being, you know, the federal government that's being spent on propaganda and tests and who knows what else. 
And we're not being told any of it. Instead, we're being told to wear masks, save lives, and to get the vaccination now. You know, in a, in a classic attempt to manipulate the local people who, again, we, as everybody knows, Utah is uh, traditionally a religious state, both LDS and non-LDS. You have thriving Protestant and uh, Catholic congregations here as well. There's a big billboard I noticed the other day on I-15 that says, if you want to get back to full congregations, get the vaccine. So they're manipulating religious people saying that your, your, your chance to participate in your congregation and, and have that experience, the religious experience you've been accustomed to, is dependent on getting injecting chemi- chemicals and experimental mRNA technology in potentially gene editing technology into your body. There also there I saw another one the other day. This was down near um so we have two very big colleges or universities that are basically neighbors. You have BYU in Provo and then just 3 miles away you have UVU um in Orem. So this this that this whole area, this whole corridor is filled with thousands of college students. And there's a big vaccine, or a big vaccine. There's a big syringe. There's a big billboard. There's a big billboard down there where these college students would, would see it often that says, everyone 16 and up, get, this is a quote, get the vaccine now. And I saw that and I was down, I was down in that area and I saw that and I just thought, I'm, I'm relatively young. I'm healthy. I have no underlying conditions. I lead an active lifestyle. I eat mostly healthy. I have a 99.997% chance uh, of surviving the why, coronavirus. Why, why would I even consider getting this vaccine? And why would I ever consider it for any of my kids that are over 16? They have even less issues than I potentially would have. Right. Did you send me the article or did I run across it myself? There was one where I'm going to have to try to dig this up. But the author was talking about how the only one of the main reasons that um, the oligarchy has been able to, to to pull this over on us is because we have been statistically, uh, like mathematically, uh, decimated. The the public mind in general has has not been able to think critically or or run even common math problems. It's it's right. this uh, it's this issue you have where like car dealerships, all they want to do is focus on the on the monthly payment. It doesn't matter how many months. What what right. is how much it you costs have a low per monthly month payment what, what the for fifty eight years and you end up paying three point eight million dollars yeah, for the, your Ford Escort right and they don't make they don't make money anymore on the price of the car it's like oh yeah you're gonna you're getting the best deal on the car because see the internet has made all the information available and you know you shouldn't pay too much more for this and these Ford Escort these, these they make Ford Escorts anymore I don't know but these dealerships they don't <clears throat> like it anymore when you come in there and pay the full amount in cash either no they want you to they want you to finance it because then they can lump in like extended warranties and and you know undercoating and and window etching and all kinds right. of things onto the loan and it's just like well what kind of let's what's the payment you well, want and those you know? loans here's a bit of i'm not a financial advisor but if you're going to buy a car and finance it don't finance it through the car dealer yeah don't do that and if you're a local person and you're going to buy some furniture don't get your financing through RC Willie either. Do not let them do that to That's you. That's where they make their money. They're going to it try is and predatory. Load, they're going to try to load it. it is nasty. They're going to try to load it. I, yeah. <clears throat> if you have to, I'm going to say this. If you have to get a loan to buy a couch, then you're not ready to buy the couch. Buy a cheaper couch that you can pay for in full. Don't go. Don't go get a 18% interest loan from RC Willie for a couch. 
Right. That's not financial advice. By the way, <laughs> apocalicious.com is somebody has got this in 2020, registered it, and they've started this great website uh, with all kinds of uh, food related things. Apocalicious, delicious food for the end times. Oh, or, so like. Or at any time. Is it ways to like make make your ground wheat taste no, no, better look at it look at these like this looks good like they've got they've got like ice cream right here ice cream made out let me, of let me dehydrated say dehydrated things apocalicious delicious food for the end times comma or any time wow. so it's not they're totally playing off the public the feeling in the public mind but here's your uh live the uh the chief owner. food wizard at hey, apocalypse apocalypse and you hear this yeah, um, they've got first a show. Of all, you're welcome for the free publicity. Yeah, and also we have I, a huge audience we, that uh, is getting this. We would, I would like to try some of that ice cream. Nice, oh, nutty but nice cream. They got a lot of YouTube stuff here. So wow, yeah, ve- someone's put some effort into this. Vegan mocha moonshine milkshake. No, this is a serious thing. I, I don't want to. How do you have a vegan milkshake? That's not a. That's it's it's not vegan if it's a milk shake. I'm getting some. I'm getting some music here. Oh, he's playing the playing a YouTube video from Apocalicious. She's talking through a v- gas mask. On the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. The nip of courage you need to face the music. And a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. It's like your morning mocha, your evening nightcap, and a milkshake had a three-way, and this was delicious bastard love child. Just enough. Okay, maybe that wasn't fit for family consumption. I, still, I, I like the tone, though. I like this. It's just like, we'll link, yeah. We'll link know, over to Apocalypse. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're doing something with it because I, I, I take domain names and I'll like exile them into the right. uh, I'm, the Badlands or something. I'm surprised this hasn't been done. Maybe it has. In, in our, you don't see as much of it anymore because I think the tone is changing and, and probably to our uh, demise. But you know, Utah used to be a really um, thriving kind of prep prepper community. You know, you, there were stores where that sold this kind of stuff, and maybe they're still out there. I don't see it as much though, and a lot of food stores. So I'm surprised somebody hasn't done something like that, like how to make your rice and beans interesting and your dehydrated. It comes in waves. Like after the Obama meat. election, after 9/11, and then after the Obama election. Uh, there was like a huge awakening with the Tea Party, and people thought all hell was breaking loose, and it was. But it was it just moves in a slow wave. That's the problem. And so uh, these businesses formed. Like I don't know if you remember Emergency Essentials. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they still operating? I don't know, but all their stuff was crap from China. Well, yeah, but also they got uh, <laughs> well, a lot of it. They got sideswiped by Amazon. Like yeah. the business, the business model folded because of online retail, and so. You, the the local shops that would put all that stuff together where you could go and buy buckets cheap or you could buy um, water tanks cheap or whatever. And then, of course, they had all kinds of other crap from China. But there's some basic things that make prepping and, and store stockpiling food and water or whatever you're going to do a little bit easier. Those guys kind of went by the wayside because you could buy it cheaper online. And I, my understanding was emergency essentials sold... And so then you had new management, you had a consolidations and other, other types of things that happened. But that, you know, gone are the days where you're going to have this multi-generational business. It's all about profit right. and the world is changing. And, and you've got these disruptive technologies like re- uh, online retail coming in. And, um, you know, we have, to, we have to give a shout out to uh, Amazon 
a negative shout out because they totally took advantage of the lack of sales tax there for many years to to cre- to gain market dominance. Right. And that was one of the reasons to buy from Amazon and buy online was because you didn't have to pay the damn sales tax. Well, and that was the case with eBay early on is you could usually find something you wanted at a at a better price. And th- that just isn't the case. Amazon isn't the case anymore either. You might find something here or there, but Yeah, they they solved but, they solved the shipping issue with Prime because you'd have to pay shipping and then they didn't have sales tax. So they had this massive monopoly power granted them by the government in a certain way. And I, I don't think we should have to pay sales tax, but, uh, right. So I'm not trying to say, Oh, but they took advantage of, they took advantage of the situation. Of that. Yeah. And became the monopoly. And now their stuff is not much better priced. We canceled Amazon prime. I'm not, I don't feel too bad about it. I've, I've ordered every once in a while. They have a, they have the thing they have right now going for them is you can find almost anything on right. Amazon and you might not be able to find it elsewhere. It is there. It is a great marketplace. That there's no there's no doubt about that. But they've benefited greatly from uh, what we would call corporatism or crony capitalism, and also just outright thuggery and um, buying up competitors. Right. Uh, and Google's done the same thing. You know, we talked about blogs earlier, and one of the first free blog sites was called Blogspot, and so you could have myblog.blogspot.com for free. And then mm-hmm. Google bought them up and it wasn't too long after that that they went away forever. And I'm surprised WordPress has remained independent. WordPress is uh, more of a software install and you have a right. whole community. But you can get a free, you know, myblog.wordpress.com. Oh, so site. they even offer the so free you, hosting. You can, sign, you can set that up. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, yeah, and if, and if you have a little bit of technical inclination, you can... Uh, they've made it really easy to to install their software on a web server, and there yep. are um, myriad of third parties that will also host your WordPress. And so, you know, something you used to have to pay a lot of money for to get a, a small company or whoever to de- to develop, you can now set up for less than a hundred bucks and and probably well, host it for YouTube, less than a hundred bucks. YouTube was an independent website, and Google bought them up. So what you have is these mega corporations find the disruptors that could threaten them, and they just pay them a lot of money. And then take them either kill them off like you saw with Blogspot, or integrate them into their services like YouTube now is is you know everybody knows that Google owns YouTube. Yeah, and then they use it against us. So now it's their tube. We should stop right. calling it YouTube and call it their tube. Right. <laughs> well, we our little uh, little uh, wrap up has been about forty minutes of wrap up. That's good. That's fun. I'm still looking wanna, at the Stormlight Archive pictures. I want to echo what Jordan was saying with his final comments 45 minutes ago, though, and, and that is do seek out things that are virtuous, lovely, of good report. Find truth. Seek truth. Share it. Speak truth. More than ever, more than ever, we need people who are willing to speak truth. Not speak your truth or searching for my truth or some subjective thing, but speak things that are objectively true. We know what those things are, and they're rapidly disappearing in our culture and our society. So hold on to those things. Speak them. Stand up for them. Stand up for what you know is right, what you know is real, and also uh, seek after the best books. You know That's an instruction given to us in, in LDS scripture. Seek after the best books. Um, Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive is great. Brandon, I know you're listening, <laughs> and we'd love to have you on the show. Uh, you could be our first guest. Or, uh, well, spoiler alert, 
predict, not prediction, but possibility. See, I, I, possibility alert. I'm going to be gone here in the summer for a few weeks, and so Jordan, Jordan might have some uh, people take my place on on to the show, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been auditioning friends and listeners, but so uh, if, if you have a burning desire to be, I'm not really good at going out and. Uh, you know, making contact with like celebrities and things like that to try right, and like, Hey, right. come be on our show. Me neither. I, I, don't, I, don't I don't have like any to be other a, contact information. You're not, not just that. I don't like to be like a groupie. Like, <laughs> right. like I'm like, Hey, I don't want to, I, I, I kind of get a little bit of a feeling of how they probably don't even want to talk to people like me. But, uh, um, yeah, we, we might need to figure that out unless you just want to hear me rant by myself. That, that could would be interesting. probably not be very interesting. Well, if you have a, I have a few people in mind. If you have a burning desire to be on the Mind Virus podcast, let us know at mindvirus.show. What month is it you're going to be gone? June. And you guarantee to be gone the whole month. No. There's no chance you're going to defect from your mission. There's always that chance. Oh, but okay. I'm, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to plan on it. Okay. <laughs> June then. Seek after the best books. <laughs> okay. And then read them. Don't just seek after them, but actually read them and learn from them. Do you have a lot of books that uh, you've purchased that you haven't read? Probably. I do. I mean, it's one of those things like... I mean, I've referenced parts of them. Yeah. There's some books that I'll get and I. it depends on the book, right? If I buy a novel, I'm going to read it and from beginning to end. If oh, I buy okay. something like say uh, like a say Hero with the Thousand Faces, we've talked about that book bow. or the Golden you started Bow. Started that, right? And then the, the, like Hero I think I've probably read that cover to cover in sequence, but it's also something I'll go back and reference and yeah. and pick up a certain aspect of say the hero's journey that I'm interested in or want to reread up. So but if I buy a novel, like if I'm going to buy the Stormlight Archive, which I read that, which book. I bought twice because I buy it on audio and then I get it for my kids in paper form. Hmm. Um, I'll read it. I'll read the novels. Now, I'm, now that doesn't mean I don't have a backlog or things I want to reread. But well, truth is stranger than fiction. Seek after the best books. Seek after that which is uh, praiseworthy, lovely, of good report, and true. And uh, like, comment, subscribe. Yeah. How, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what do I want to say? Um, do we even? We don't even have anything to like. God, Godspeed on your journey. We don't you know. Ha- we have nothing. Walk, walk the path proudly. Can you like <laughs> on? We don't have it. We're not. We, we're not in a place where you can like us. We don't have any like options on our uh, page. And we're on Twitter, but we're not really. Not really. But we, tell tell your friends about the Mind Virus podcast and and keep giving us feedback. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed some of our comments on your comments today. And um, I think I'm going to title this one Apocalicious. It's just too, that's just too good. It's okay. just too good. Like the ice cream. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I've not had the, the yeah. Apocalicious ice cream, but maybe I'm, we'll I'm have to try it. intrigued by their website. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, have a great week, everybody. you all, and we will talk care. to you next time. We are signing off. <laughs>